0: Welcome to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight, featuring Coast to Coast AM from February 20th, 2002. From the high desert in the great American Southwest, I bid you all good
1: evening and good morning, good afternoon. Wherever you may be in the entire world, all 24 time zones, served by this radio program, Coast to Coast AM, emanating from a little tiny town called Trump, Nevada. I'm Art Bell, glad to be here. Good to be talking to the denizens of the night. You know, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. There really is a very large difference between people who live in the nighttime, and I mean, that's their awake time, that's their living time in the dark hours, and those who subsist during the day. (laughs) One night we should have a talk about that. I wonder uh, how many of the rest of you have thought about that. The difference between day people and night people is a Big difference. Really big difference. Uh, anyway, let's look at the world news such as it is. I'm criticized frequently for having topics uh, that are a little dark, you know. But when when I look uh, at the news, the world news, it's really darker than most anything I ever talk about. <laughs> the actual news. Our president is in uh, Beijing. Um. Actually, he's not. He's uh, in Korea. I think he's in South Korea, I guess. Uh, at any rate, uh, he's talking about uh, Beijing. And uh, he's basically saying that he wants to strike a deal. I guess he is there, huh? Uh, let's see. President Bush was greeted at the Great um, Hall. And then the two went behind closed doors try to knock out a deal as follows. Uh, China stops its selling nuclear stuff. To nations that we're not real happy with, uh, our side of the deal is we lift sanctions so they can launch satellites. U.S. companies, TV satellites, uh, radio satellites, whatever, uh, the Chinese uh, want to get into and have been in the satellite launching business, and they want business, and uh, so our end of the deal would be uh, to allow them to suddenly launch uh, whatever company's satellites uh, they would like launched. In Israel, the situation continues to get worse. So many dead. After Israel lost uh, 13 over the last week, they decided they're going to start, to, I guess, operating in some different way. 22 Palestinians dead. One day of clashes. 22 Palestinians. Boy, the uh, situation in the Middle East is uh, just getting hotter and hotter and hotter, as it was said it would. The ghastly discovery of, now they're saying, I heard on the news, it could be up to 300 bodies in the woods near a Georgia crematory uh, has illustrated what consumer advocates say is a total lack of state regulation and oversight of the industry other than EPA. You know, the emissions uh, that a crematorium would have, there's not a whole lot of uh, a control there's a horrible story from Egypt. I don't know if you've been following this, but apparently, you know, uh, I was talking to Ramona who said that uh, people. I remember this uh, in in a lot of third world countries. We we experienced this in uh, China, communist China. A long train. Boy, was that a scary train ride! That really, it was the scariest train r- ride of our lives. Not exactly what you would call luxury accommodations, you know you're on benches, you're with uh, the other Chinese, and uh, we were racing through the night, and I mean through the night on this rickety old train with bathrooms that no American would ever go in uh, toward the uh, toward the border area, but uh, pretty deep in uh, communist China. And there were Red Guards everywhere, and they watch you very closely, and you get a lot of very strong advice from the people who are leading the party about how you act and how you don't act when you're in China, because if you act the wrong way, uh, they will not read you your rights, believe me. But on a train apparently like that in Egypt, a fire started because somebody was cooking something or had something to keep them warm or whatever, and it was toward the front of the train. And somehow they didn't know that the fire was going on. They're doing 70, 80 miles an hour. And, of course, the the fire just raced to the rear of the train. Scores of people were trapped inside, some by window grills. And there are many dead, 370 uh, dead, they think, right now. Horrible. You can imagine as the fire uh, raced uh, backwards what it must have been like. uh, Not a good way to die. The uh, Supreme Court uh, today urged to keep mentally retarded killers off state death rows by declaring those executions unconstitutionally cruel and unusual punishment case turns on whether the public's attitude about those executions may have changed since 1989 when the court upheld them by a 5-4 vote. How do you feel about that? It's a tight one for the court. It's going to be a tight one for everybody. What do you do with a mentally retarded person? Do you execute them? Do you really consider them responsible for their actions? And, you know, at what line of mental retardation or IQ level, where is that line? And they have to establish, it seems, something uh, because, uh, you know, executing complete idiots I don't think should be our national business. And so if I was a Supreme Court judge, I'd probably establish a line. You have to. It's hard to do. You was know, like uh, beyond, be, be, below certain age, a minor is a minor, doesn't get a record as an adult, is not tried as an adult normally. And you need some kind of line like that, it seems to me, for those you would execute and those you would say, no, they're just not here. Not all there, certainly not here. And so you don't kill somebody like that. Or do you? Supreme Court said, yes, 5-4 a lot of years ago. I wonder how people feel about that now. So you see, that's what I mean about the news. If you listen to the news, and I just read you the top stories airing right now, it's at least, it's much more gruesome (laughs) than anything I typically discuss. Maybe not, well, yes, every bit is scary, really, too. So, you see, the real world isn't all that uh, different in, in almost every respect from that which some people consider unreal. Now, here's a pretty interesting letter, and it's got a website back up. Hello, Mr. Bell. I oh, know it's the next one. Hello, Mr. Bell. I lived in Ellensburg, meaning Ellensburg, Washington, home of the whole, for nearly three years, some number of years. Pretty wild place there. I truly believe that the holes exist. Notice I said holes, plural. See, in the course of routine socializing, at the time I resided in Ellensburg, I was made privy to some ancient lore about some kid at a beer party. Seems that a bunch of guys had been up at uh, Lion's Rock spotting some elk. When he stumbled into, and apparently into, a very large hole, his buddy also in pursuit of the elusive Peabury Bush, managed to stop when he heard screams from below his feet. Three people at the scene swear they could still hear his screams faintly after thirty seconds of the most heart-wrenching noise imaginable. There is now supposedly a cabin built over the hole, and the Indians in the area hold sacred rituals there, sacrificing occasional offerings to the great chief. Very hush-hush kind of stuff, methinks. Well, it sounded fishy to me, too. I never thought much about the deep hole thing until your recent Ellensburg shows. I thought I'd pass this along at the time. I figured it must be a vent. Perhaps it opened up during the last time Reneer erupted or something like that. Kind of sad to think about some guy dumping tires down a natural phenomena like that, though. Because everybody gets by the best way they know how. And then there's this, and we do have a photo on the website now for this. I don't know why I thought it interesting, but I did from Wayne. Art, just wanted to drop you a note about a very weird experience that just happened. I was on my south side porch when I heard some branches breaking. And I quickly ducked. You know, I thought something was going to fall on me. Something fell all right. It was a three-liter bottle of, I think, soda. Not too strange, except there was nobody around. And it was frozen solid. Right now, it's 45 degrees outside and haven't had freezing weather for weeks now. The bottle is heavy. And I don't think I could throw it 20 feet, much less have it smashed through an extremely large tree. So I called the police and asked them, please don't think I'm some kind of nut, and explained what had happened. They sent two officers over to look at the bottle. They did look at it and dropped it on the concrete and said "It is sure is frozen. (laughs) And thanks for the story of the night. Now we have something to talk about and ask me to throw it away. End of story. I think I'll keep the bottle until I find out who sells this kind of pop. Good night, Wayne. And uh, he sent along with it a a picture that he took right away of the pop bottle on the ground, the frozen pop bottle. You know, you, you hear tree branches cracking above you, you know how it would sound, right? And here comes this bottle of frozen pop sailing down now. Just how exactly does that happen anyway? Does that mean that somebody threw, a, 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 a like, a bottle of pop out the window of an airplane or something? Possible, I suppose. Does that mean some freak weather conditions sucked up a bottle of pop somewhere, and in the up, upper atmosphere it froze solid, as it would do? Then falling on poor Wayne. I have no idea. Either way, interesting. Uh, you pilots of small planes, you know, this is something I've always wondered if there's any pilots of small aircraft out there. How much of a temptation is it, you know, when you're when you're up there flying around and you're by yourself and you could take a penny or a quarter or a bottle of pop and throw that sucker out the window? Now, you have to be aware, of course, that some poor schmoo down on the ground could get crowned by a bottle of frozen pop. <laughs> Probably killed. Uh, even a penny, it's my understanding, would uh, do some pretty significant damage uh, at terminal velocity, right? I've always wondered about uh, that. Any of you uh, small plane pilots comped throwing anything out? Paper airplanes? Little messages? I don't know, little little things on parachutes? <laughs> you ever throw anything out of a plane? Uh, here is... Pretty interesting story. Last night uh, I brought you the story about the Pope doing exorcisms, right? There are some statistics out uh, tonight from uh, Rome and the Zenit News Agency, whatever that is. Uh, Exorcism requests often come from practitioners of the occult. Twenty-three percent have pathological problems, says Paris Archdiocese. Now listen to this. Very interesting. More than 30 percent, that's one-third of the people who request exorcisms, have engaged in activities like witchcraft. At last week's annual meeting of the French Catholic exorcists, the Archdiocese outlined the profile of people who uh, request the ritual. The... Paris Archdiocese Service said that among individuals who request exorcism, 31% engage in witchcraft, spiritualism or related activities. 23, they say uh, percent, suffer from pathological problems like delirium, hallucinations, obsessions, anxiety crisis, suicide attempts or visions. 18% suffer from family problems like divorce or sexual abuse. 15% Suffer depression linked to loneliness, abortion, chronic unemployment, false guilt feelings, death tendencies, similar trends. So, uh, basically, about a third of the people requesting exorcism, and this is it, is really interesting, have engaged in what the church regards as as something that uh, would put you in peril of your soul. Or of of being possessed by some evil demon. Thirty one percent. The rest, uh, well, whatever. But one third. That is, when you think about it, a pretty intriguing
0: number. Now we take you back to the night of February twentieth, two thousand two, on Art Bell, somewhere in time.
1: Now, this is kind of interesting. It comes from the Colombian capital and the uh, Ananova website. Please say up to 50 groups of human vampires are operating in the Colombian capital, Bogota. That's right. What did I say? Please say up to 50 groups of human vampires are operating in the Colombian capital of Bogota. They dress in black. Drink brandy mixed with human blood. Oh, my God. They usually obtain human blood from contacts in transfusion centers or buy animal blood from the city. Please say groups of vampires, though, have recently begun stopping passers-by at gunpoint and forcing them to bear their necks, presumably for some kind of donation. A police spokesperson uh, said it's difficult to prosecute the groups because witnesses are just afraid to come forward. They don't want to talk about it. Victims are also worried people will think they're crazy if they report the attacks. The authorities say they can't do anything about the vampires without hard evidence. And Colombia's freedom of religion laws mean the police can't stop and search people just because they're dressed like vampires. (laughs) A Interpol official, Juan Prieto, told newspaper El Spectator that he was worried that vampire numbers were increasing. Mr. Prieto said that vampires could be responsible for several unsolved murders in Bogota, adding, but we've got this problem proving it. So you've got to admit, uh, it would be pretty weird indeed to be stopped on the street by, you know, at gunpoint or by whatever and forced to donate some precious bodily fluids. Hey, you. That neck. Crane that neck. First time caller line, you are on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Where are you, sir? I'm in Toronto. Toronto, Canada. All right. Yes. Well, welcome to the program. Glad to have
2: you. Right on. I got it through. <laughs> yep. Go ahead. Yeah. I have a question.
3: Okay. It's about um, Mel's Hall. Yes. Yes. I, I was sitting talking to one of my friends about this. We were talking about Mel's Hall. You were talking about um, uh, uh, meant, um, people who cannot die, live on.
1: Unbreakable, yes.
3: Oh, unbreakable. That's the word I was looking for. Right. Well, I was thinking, um, Mel, who found this hole, he turned around, he got electrocuted, like some kind of shock. It's like therapy. For people who had um, cancer? Well, if
1: the government would would honor Mel's request, and it was in the contract he supposedly uh, drew up with them when they took over the hole... Mm -hmm. Mel is to be buried uh, by being tossed into the hole now. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yes. Now, there are certain stories to indicate that things that are thrown into the hole uh, do achieve some sort of uh, immortality. Now, it may not be what Mel expects. There was a story of the dog that went in the hole, and then, you know, it was dead and then came back out of the hole. And I, I would presume that Mel, putting that clause in the deal... Is imagining that if he's tossed into the hole he may live again and he may live again you never know but what if it's like Night of the Living Dead where True. anything that's thrown in there does come back out again but mm, something like Pet Cemetery. something like Pet Cemetery, yeah
3: mm. <gasps> no I was talking about the movie
1: <laughs> oh, oh yeah, well yeah exactly like Pet Sematary sir you're correct that's just what it's like and I mean that's something Mel has to take into consideration before his final breath is drawn, whether he must modify that or not, It'd be a long climb up out of Mel's hole. Would it? Maybe the impossible climb, but the dog made it after all. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, tonight, featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 20th, 2002. Premier Radio Networks presents Art Bell's Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired February 20th, 2002.
1: Just running with the night. That's what we do here. Chasing shadows. (laughs) Good morning, everybody. It's great to be here. We've got uh, open lines coming up next segment. Then, following that, at the top of the hour, a very interesting gentleman. Very hard interview to get. Robert Bruce, uh, who's pretty much a recluse, all the way down in uh, Australia. It's a 16-hour difference from here. he would be talking to us about all sorts of things. OBEs, Kundalini, clairvoyance, healing, psychic attacks. All kinds of interesting things coming up at the top of the hour. But open lines straight ahead. Stay right there.
0: You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight, featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 20th, 2002.
1: All right, that story I told you about the pop bottle. Uh, I'm checking right now, but probably. Yeah, here it is. Frozen uh, bottle falls from sky. Yeah, it's good. It's got the uh, email there. And uh it's got the picture of the pop bottle. Huh. Frozen too you can tell it's frozen. And you can see the broken tree branches. Remember that movie about the Coke bottle that fell out of the sky? What the hell's the name of that? Something of the gods. Anyway. <laughs> it looks like that. Maybe it's an alien pop bottle. Ha ha ha. Uh, let's see. Uh, what a way to begin. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello.
4: Hello, Art Bell.
1: Where are you, sir?
4: Um, I'm in Morrison, Colorado, listening in on KHOW, 630 AM.
1: Now, that would be the monster in Denver. Yes, sir.
4: Yeah. Well, my name's Tawasi, and I'm calling in tonight about Yucca Mountain. Uh, oh. i very close to Pahrump.
1: Oh, you bet it is. Uh, in fact, uh, I would imagine that a lot of people who would... Uh, yeah, The the Gods Must Be Crazy. That was the name of that movie. The, the second you. one was better uh, than the first. Was it? The, God, the Gods Must Be Crazy too?
4: Yeah, I did the second one. <laughs>
1: uh,
4: but uh, about Nevada and Yucca Mountain.
1: Yes, the, uh, the repository we call it here.
4: Yeah, well, President Bush says that the Department of Energy researched the tectonic soundness of that area and says that it's fine and safe.
1: Yeah, well, that's because they live in Washington.
4: Well, yeah. Well, so... N- not even now,
1: now, now if you talk to our senator and by the way I should be doing that Senator Harry Reid our Nevada senator uh-huh. of our senators uh, we I should interview him Harry I know Harry Reid a little bit Harry I'd love to have you on I understand you're really pissed about this uh, really upset is what I've heard and,
5: uh, well, and I'd of, love
1: to put Harry on the air let him say a few words
4: well as one of your loyal listeners I'll send him a letter and say you know what I would like to hear you on the art Bell show, and no i 'm not a constituent, please go on
1: by all means in um, fact, every, everybody uh, is welcome to do that. If you have any contact with Harrier or can email and do it i 'd love to have him on the show
4: i I live in the Denver area, not so far from i seventy there was a thing in today 's paper saying that nuclear waste would go through the Denver area to get out there to yucca mountain
1: oh brother so, it 's going to travel all over the place. And, uh, you know, while I don't necessarily buy this, they say there's a greater danger in the transportation of it than there is in the storage of it. Right. Now, that may or may not be true.
4: I there tend probably
1: is a danger in, in the transporting of it, I, I would imagine. Uh, but, but then we have to be these good custodians of this stuff for, like, hundreds of thousands of years.
4: Right. I, I tend not to be as concerned about the storage of it as the shipment just because I don't live in Nevada. But but the point of my calling is this, yes um about three weeks back, no, two weeks back, my mother passed away of cancer I'm sorry, it's a sad thing, but it happens to the best of us uh, so cancer is pretty much a man made disease, and I see nuclear waste as being one of the largest contributors to cancer in our country, so.
6: Well.
1: Well, I don't it's, know.
4: It's just really toxic stuff. I, yeah, I
1: know it's extremely toxic, but the fact of the matter is they have stored it, and they do check and background radiation levels uh, near these storage facilities are not any higher than they are anywhere else.
4: Well, here in in Colorado, we have Rocky Flats. You they
1: they say. I, I wanted to add in there, they say. Uh-huh. Um, now, yeah, I know about Rocky Flats, and, of course, up in Washington State, too. We've got a pretty big facility.
4: Well, last year they found one of the cores from a nuclear bomb that they hadn't accounted for and didn't really know where it was. (laughs) They found it out there in Rocky Flats. Now, these guys (laughs) at the Department of Energy are really smart. How do you lose a a A great root-sized piece of nuclear waste?
1: I don't know, and I I just uh, I appreciate your call, sir. I don't know. That's a big horror to think about. Hey, Fred, one of them's gone.
6: (laughs) How big?
7: That's one of the big hundred kilotoners. One of the really dirty ones, too.
1: I don't know how you lose one of those. Anyway, I'm glad it's found. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello.
5: Art? Yes. Yes, you got a suitcase? Do I have a suitcase? Yo. At least, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, Yucca Mountain, I'm not a constituent either. I'm in San Diego, California. Ah, yes. But uh, no way, I'm sorry. Nuclear waste, nuclear power, the whole thing is the scourge of mankind.
1: Well, you live near a nuclear power plant. Oh, In a, lo- in a lot do. of ways. Exactly. Actually, wait, wait, wait. In a lot of ways. Now, they're going to not begin storing this stuff, I understand, if it's approved into, like, 2010 or something like that. But um, in a lot of ways, I think that a nuclear power plant is of a more immediate danger, say, to you in your area than the storage would be, uh At Yucca Mountain, to me,
5: and in reference to the show the other night when the gentleman was speaking of a nuclear power plant right next to the freeway where yeah. a truck could be driven up, that's where I live
6: <laughs> and <laughs> I right will right not
5: name the location due to the security nature of the uh, yeah.
1: yeah well, everybody pretty much knows where it is, yes, they do, all right, sir. I appreciate the call, thank you i uh. We have created this problem for ourselves in this country with nu- nuclear power plants. And uh, imagine the cost now of what a, to build a, a new nuclear plant in the age of terrorism, in the age of airplanes crashing into things. Um, the cost, the additional cost, and there's bound to be some of guarding these plants, is going to drive the cost of nuclear power even further away from reality. So. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you? Okay, sir. Where are you?
8: I'm in uh, Philadelphia, PA. Okay. Um, I was calling about the uh, the um, down in uh, with the uh, the body thing with all the bodies they're finding. Georgia. Yeah, down down there. Yeah. Um, I heard on the news up here that that some of the bodies have been found uh, mummified.
1: Mummified.
8: Yeah, like like not all of them, but some of them have been uh, mummified in some way.
1: Oh, my, my. Uh, I had not heard that. Where did you get that one?
8: Um, I think it was on the local news. Now, this was yesterday. You had asked yesterday if if anybody knew why.
1: Well, yeah, I was looking for motive, of course. I mean, now they're talking about as many as 300 bodies, right? And all I've heard is the guy said that the equipment was broken or something. I don't buy that at all.
8: No, no. Not, but with the whole mummification thing or whatever that... that the uh that if, if they in fact were doing that down there why why would they all of a sudden release a story and then pull it
1: uh i I don't have the slightest idea sir um you saw this one on TV news or heard it on radio yeah, yeah or... it,
8: was, it was just on the on the local news and this was yesterday the the uh, 11 o'clock news and I haven't heard anything about it since
1: that's pretty bizarre. I didn't know if
8: maybe maybe some of your other listeners had heard something about it, or
1: well, mum, mum, mummification requires a very specific process, doesn't it?
8: Yeah, and it takes a while to do, I would think.
1: All right, um, I'll I'll see what I can find out. I I don't know a thing about it, sir. Thank you. All right. I I had not heard the story, but if some of the, let's see, I don't know a lot about uh, mummification, but it was done, of course, by the Egyptians and others. Uh, with great success, so I, I wonder if they strictly meant that or, or something else. Anybody with any information on that is more than welcome to send it along to my email addresses. Those would be artbell at mindspring.com or artbell at aol.com. Mummification, that's strange. Uh, wild Card Line, you are on the air. Hello. Now you're on the air. I'm sorry, I uh, didn't have the pot up. You're on the air now.
5: Oh, sorry. I was talking to myself for a second. It's about Robert from LA. Yes, I heard Robert. The same, I heard the same story. when he was talking about about the mummification. It was on the news. Really? Basically, yeah. What happens when a a, rot, a body or any living animal it rots? What happens is the tissue it can melt off. It can basically rot off the bones. But sometimes the skin actually seals and cures itself. Have you you've seen that in pictures where there are bodies and it sort of it's red It's sealed. That's what they're talking about by mummification. The rotting process stopped on some of the bodies. Hmm. That's basically what happened. It's gruesome. Did you imagine almost 200 bodies laying there? It's, well,
1: I'm now hearing almost 300. It seems impo- impossible, and uh, the only explanation offered so far is, well, the machine wasn't working or something. I, you know, no, I, that's got to be a long period of time. I don't buy that for one second. Something else is going on with this. Some something big is behind this story.
5: I think he was doing it as a big haunted house that never worked out yet, but. <laughs> but uh, I, as as I was calling calling, basically, I, I was calling to tell you about the, the soda pop thing that's going through the tree. Oh yes. Okay that that was an interdimensional soda pop bottle, Art. You wow. Know that,
1: right? <laughs> an <laughs> interdimensional soda pop bottle.
5: Yeah, I have proof, complete proof. Well, what is okay? your proof? Now, now now look, the guy, he said he says he doesn't recognize the label, right? He won't find it. Why? Because in our timeline, in our dimension. They make two-liter bottles. You read. It said three liters. When you I read. can't
1: I can't read it. Uh,
5: you said three liters. That isn't in our dimension. We have two liters in our dimension.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I have you seen
5: the bottle? No, I haven't. But, no, uh, but, but if I knew where it was, I'd buy it. <laughs> All right.
1: All right. I appreciate the call, sir. An interdimensional bottle. <laughs> hey, this picture looks like it could be blown up easily. I can't quite read what it says on the bottle, but there is obviously a label on it. Now, I cannot quite read it. Somebody will blow it up very quickly and find out what it is. (laughs) Weird story. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Good morning.
9: Good morning. I have a prediction. Am I too late?
1: Uh, Well, you're never too late, but you're too late to have it officially recorded uh, on our list, but you're welcome to make it, and just you're doing that on the air, obviously we'll register it in the minds of many.
9: All right, yeah, to get through, uh, I think that China is going to take over Taiwan.
1: Uh, I'd say that's a pretty good guess.
9: Yeah, someone already predicted it?
1: Um, oh, I don't know. I, I, yeah. yeah, I think I'm, I'm sure that uh, one of the predictions involved that, I'm, I, the Chin, Chinese uh, want Taiwan.
9: Oh, yeah, and they're going to seize this opportunity when we're doing other things.
1: And as far as have- they are concerned, uh, Taiwan belongs to them. And uh, actually, in a lot of ways, they have a fair case. It would be interesting to see what the U.S. would do if they decided to do it.
9: I have a question for you. Yep. Um, is there a correlation between Native American heritage and people predicting things, or is that just something I've noticed?
1: Oh, well, there is a rich uh, tradition of uh, Native American prediction, uh, certainly just as we have, uh, as Christians have, a very rich uh, tradition, boy, i get in trouble for that, right? And records of predictions that are uh, made in the Bible. Uh, Native Americans have them, and uh, every religion on the face of the earth has these uh, predictions and visions from some of the early religious leaders that began these various religions. So, yes. Yes uh east of the rockies you are on the air good morning
5: good morning art hi um first i want to ask you about uh the mothman prophecies if you've seen that movie no i have not um, yet
1: seen it uh, i interviewed uh, um uh, the man who wrote uh, the mothman prophecies
3: well you, you should go see the movie it, i thought it was really good but um sunday night i was listening to a station out of cincinnati yes. i don't know what the call letters was but it was uh Bill Boshears, I believe. yeah, And for two hours straight, he took calls from people around Cincinnati who were seeing UFOs. And apparently there was a big flap.
1: Oh, there was a big flap, a gigantic flap. Uh, People were saying, in some cases, they were so low. uh, One man said that he could uh, run out and almost touch one of these uh, so-called UFOs. And they were all over the place, a gigantic flap going on, no question about it.
3: Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I I missed you mentioning that because uh, no, it you was didn't. A, I
1: I haven't mentioned it uh, until just now, so you didn't miss it.
3: Oh wow. Well, yeah. It was it was amazing. I mean, collar after collar after collar, seeing large triangular objects hovering and uh, many right. different UFOs. That's uh, right. It was really interesting.
1: No, you're absolutely right. I I appreciate the call, sir, and I'm sure we'll get a formal report on all of that. But it was a big flap. Big flap the other night. In that area, many, many people. I wonder why we call them flaps. I wonder where that term originated. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello.
3: Ah, uh, good morning, Art. Good morning. I'm, I'm around the Colorado River. Uh, K talks. Yes, sir. Uh, earlier, we were talking about somebody that was uh, mentally retarded and why they should or should not be executed.
1: Well, the Supreme Court had a split, very split decision on it. uh, Voting to execute them uh, was a story, and then I sort of talked about what do we do about this, how do we handle it.
3: Okay, do you remember in uh, Costa Mesa, there's a hospital off of Harvard Boulevard? Uh, Yes. Okay, that hospital's for basically mentally retarded uh, people, uh, period. Yes. Okay, and... uh, most people don't realize how dangerous the people that are in there are the the uh why what is uh, your
1: what what is your point
3: the point is the lower the uh intelligence yes of the individual yes the less they are able to uh um, Retrained from example. Yes. Uh huh. Uh, uh, In in that hospital, many rapes. um,
1: Yes. Yes, sir. Of course. Many attacks
3: on people. That is true. Okay, that's the reason because.
1: What uh, the reason for what?
3: The reason for what is that these mentally retarded people, as you drop the points, you get these people become extremely dangerous.
1: Yeah, I already got that. I uh, the the whole. The whole controversy surrounds not the fact that we keep uh, uh severely mentally retarded people in facilities, but whether or not you execute them for uh capital crimes um, and whether they are responsible and at what level, at what IQ level is the cutoff point going to be established. If there is going to be one established, I think there ought to be. You don't uh, execute uh, people who are simply uh, totally not responsible for their actions because as I said earlier they're not here they're not here they're there they're somewhere else They're they're just not here and if our society I'm I'm a very strong uh, advocate uh, of the death penalty but when it comes to the severely retarded I'm not so strong an advocate I think there are limits just like there are limits of execution of youth we don't execute uh, really young people well, I must say we've been we've been executing younger and younger. Well, I guess they wait until they're 21. But I'm talking about imposing uh, a life or death sentences on people who commit capital crimes. We treat youth differently, and I would think we would treat the uh, severely mentally retarded uh, differently as well. Where you draw the line—that's what uh, those those incredible men have to decide at the U.S. Supreme Court. Can you imagine considering and rendering judgment on such issues? West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Yeah, hello. Hi.
5: Yeah, hi. Uh, I just wanted to let you know, uh, this is kind of a prediction. Uh, KFYI, Phoenix, 550 uh, News Talk Radio. Yes, sir. Anyway, um, Jesus has said the cup of iniquity is full. And this is preordained that this call got through.
1: Very quickly, sir. Yeah, okay,
5: the... very quickly. And and he will withhold judgment until March 10th. Look for a very large earthquake to hit the Spokane, Washington area March 10th.
1: All right, I've got that down. Uh, hope it doesn't happen. It's right in line with a prediction of many others regarding the middle of March. A sort of a window for something big to occur, probably somewhere along the west coast. I'm Art Bell from the high Desert. You're listening to Coast to Coast AM. We're about to traverse the entire globe, go to Australia for a few hours and talk with somebody named Robert Bruce.
0: You're listening to Art Bell somewhere in time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast A.M. from February twentieth, two thousand two. listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 20th, 2002.
1: Indeed, it is top of the morning to you, everybody, or whatever time of day it is, wherever you are. For over 25 years, Robert Bruce has actively explored mechanics, the energetics and dynamics of all things considered paranormal, especially OBE, the human energy body, kundalini, clairvoyance, healing, occult criminality, countermeasures, psychic attack and self-defense. While disliking labels, Robert is probably best called a metaphysicist, somewhat of a recluse, (laughs) that's what they call me too, something of a recluse. Robert is rarely seen in public and his services have never been for hire, never robert values his privacy and prefers to use his abilities helping others and of course as search tools robert is the author of astral dynamics was co-founder of the book capturing the aura Ooh, he currently has several books and tutorials underway his worldwide website carries some of his earlier written work these are now being regularly updated with new materials relating to robert's work and interests born in england he currently resides in the land down under near Sydney in sunny Australia, home of the year 2000 Olympics. Of course, now we've got Salt Lake City going on. So actually, uh, he is uh, in Australia, and we had to uh, dial about three times to get what is a decent connection, which I hope we have. We'll test that theory in a moment.
0: Now we take you back to the night of February 20th, 2002, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time.
6: All right,
1: we have two major subjects that we're going to cover with, uh, with Robert tonight. Uh, one concerns astral dynamics, and uh, one concerns his new book, which I want to begin with, I want to do things a little bit backwards, uh, Practical Psychic Self-Defense. And uh, first of all, uh, from, I think, are, are you in Perth, Australia, Robert?
2: Yeah, round about that way.
1: Round about that way. Yeah, uh, okay.
2: near the Black Stump, yeah.
1: Okay, well, welcome to the program. It certainly is great to have you. I guess it's, what, uh, middle of the day there or morning or something?
2: Yeah, great to talk to you too, mate. It's um, about 3 p.m. here.
1: About 3 in the afternoon. Yes, okay well that's more comfortable than it is for a lot of the people on the receiving side of this program right now middle of the night here
2: yeah i could imagine
1: um, robert i did an entire program one uh... night not very long ago uh... for people who have been psychically attacked in some cases by entities robert uh... with physical bruising uh... sometimes while sleeping uh... sometimes uh, at other times of the day But I did an entire program simply talking to people who have been attacked by they-don't-know-what entities or something. What can you tell me about what might be out there? Is this real?
2: Yes, it is very real. Um, Unfortunately, um, um, modern scientific materialistic thinking ends at the physical body, begins and ends there. Mm -hmm. And they don't recognize anything uh, beyond the mind. Um but yes, entity attacks from what I negative spiritual beings, uh, what I call negs, which covers any kind of entity, whether it's a, a demon or an evil spirit or an earthbound spirit gone bad. Um, now they're very real and they can do physical damage. I've, I've got, had quite a lot of physical damage myself over the years from attacks like that, and I've helped a lot of people with uh, similar problems. Even um, one, you don't always get physical n- damage, but it can be a result in yes. extreme cases.
1: News in the last couple of days has also been fascinating. Uh, there's a Vatican spokesperson saying that the Pope has been doing exorcisms. Uh, it was an amazing story, Robert, in which uh, 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 young women were spitting out parts of transistor radios. I, I don't know whether you saw the report or not just amazing stories uh from the vatican of, of our uh, current pope uh doing exorcisms one as recently i think they said as in september had you read that
2: no i haven't but i i have some contacts at the vatican um particularly with um, monsignor balducci um the oh, yes. demonologist there and uh, yes i'm aware the pope does uh, exorcisms and uh, there's been quite a bit written about them people vomiting feathers, coal, fire, yes um, and some but this is typical demonic um, manifestations they 're quite predictable, really
1: All right. Can you talk to what are the various sorts of things out there? I mean wh- what are we dealing with Robert are these are these really demons as the Catholic Church considers them representatives of a uh, uh, Lucifer inhabiting the bodies of human beings for uh, periods of time? Are these the minions of his? Are these just sort of spirits that are here on earth? Uh, maybe of the once departed? Uh, maybe they were lousy personalities in life and now they're lousy personalities in death? Yeah. I mean, what, what are we dealing with?
2: All of the above art. All of All the of
1: above? That.
2: All of that. Yes. There are demons. Keep, if you believe in angels' art, by default, you really believe in demons because they're opposite numbers of each other. And if you look into the Kabbalah, uh, you will see the uh, hierarchy or rankings of the opposing forces, you could say. Angels on one side, demons on the other. Um, but beneath the demonic ranking, there's a lot of different types of evil spirits. Uh, what I call astral wildlife are the, the lowest of the low, fairly harmless um, types that just try and scare you and may do a bit of poltergeist activity. Above that, you get some um, some quite nasty uh, evil spirits, uh, astral snakes and spiders. And
1: well, wait a minute. Let's it, let's go back for a second to astral wildlife. I love that term, the yeah. astral wildlife. Uh, is that sort of like? I, I mean, it's a term that I don't understand. I I sort of understand it. Astral wildlife. Does that mean some lower? Level spirits like. Uh,
2: uh, yes, yeah. It does. I'm, I'm it sorry, does. I'm
1: struggling with this because I, I want to understand. Is it like animals?
2: Uh? In a way, yes. Um, a lot of them seem animalistic. Um, keep in mind, these are my term terms for them. Um, I've um, researched the uh, out of body environment quite thoroughly over many, many years. And uh, I've obviously spent a lot of time there. And I took a fresh approach to all that. And I tried to work things out and discover for myself. So these are my terms for them. Uh, The lowest of the low order would be the types of uh, entities that hang around new projectors and uh, attempt to scare them uh, and frighten them out out of it. Um, uh, Higher up, you get some nastier types. uh, And the stronger they are, the more rare they are. Uh, Until you get to evil spirits and things which will actually uh, uh, attack people and harm them for their own reasons.
1: Well, again, uh, is it really evenly split among those, the the departed uh, human spirits who are still here on Earth, and uh, true representatives uh, fairly close in the hierarchy to his uh, majesty of the lower world, or, you know, what?
2: No, it's not really like that. And you can take a classical... Cabalistic view of it, of the uh, angels versus, versus demons, and as far as that goes, that seems to be fairly accurate. Uh, they are particular uh, orders of beings, uh, but beneath that, uh, the majority of entities beneath that aren't demonic. You have elemental type beings, and that most of them are indifferent, and uh, or harmless, and uh, they have their own agenda and their own purposes. But there are quite a, a significant amount of uh, types out there that predatory they opportunistic feeders they attack people and uh, will attempt to um, attach to and corrupt people even
1: opportunistic Um, feeders
2: yeah a lot of them a lot of the lower types especially seem to feed off uh, the the life energy the life force of human beings
1: Um, I've heard it said frequently they feed particularly off fear which they generate I imagine rather easily
2: Yes, well, fear is, is not so much uh, generating a type of energy. Uh, you could say they feed off fear, uh, um, metaphorically, but they actually feed off your life force. Uh, they, they initiate fear in a person by scaring a person. And what that does, that uh, when you terrify somebody, their natural inbuilt shields start to drop. It's like how if you have an animal that is absolutely terrified, say a dog, it will roll over and expose its throat and belly. That's it's right. It's sort a of submission. It's like you, it opens you right up, and then they can um, gain further access to your mind and your energy body for whatever they want to do, hmm. depending on the type, of course. I
1: have a uh, OBE question for you, and I'm going to set it up this way, Robert. I have talked, and I realize that you are an expert in this area, but I've talked to a lot of people about out-of-body. I've had a couple of pretty wild little experiences myself Uh, So I know it's absolutely possible and it's real, but every single expert that I've ever asked about OBEs, one critical juncture that we always get to, Robert, is the following. When you are out of your body, is there any additional danger uh, to you in any way? Could you encounter negative forces? Could you uh, perhaps even be subject uh, more likely of a possession when you're out of your body? Could something possess your body, or could something go wrong, or could something negative happen to you? And every expert I've talked to on OBEs has always said, oh, absolutely not. It is the safest thing in the world to do, that anything that goes wrong will take you right back to your body right away. Nothing evil can happen. You cannot be possessed. What do you say?
2: Well, I agree with them in part, but there are a few things that can go wrong that can injure you. You can come across uh, evil spirits and demons during an out-of-body experience and you can get into trouble. Um, not so much physically, keeping in mind you never actually leave your physical body. Uh, you, the original copy of your mind and your memory and your spirit always stay in the body. During an out-of-body experience um, your body um, generates a perfect energy copy of itself. A thinking copy which is you really and at the moment you have an OBE there is something that I call the mind split occurs when uh, you split into two completely separate beings and this normally happens while you're asleep but with training you can stay awake and uh, have actually two of you functioning at the same time Um, and so as this is an energy copy uh, if you do get into trouble out out of body and I've tested this to the limits Uh, If you do get out of trouble, trouble, if that projected copy of yours is damaged or destroyed, um, the original copies of you are safe inside your physical body. They never leave it while you still live. Um, But you can suffer energy depletion, and if your astral body is injured, those injuries can translate, because you're talking about the causal level, into the physical body, and you can get strange marks as you were saying earlier, people were getting physical injuries on their bodies.
1: Oh, Robert, I had a whole night of it. I mean, four yeah. solid hours of people uh, being attacked, uh, either psychically or actually yeah. physically.
2: It is far more common than people believe. Uh, obviously. And it's obviously. generally put down,
1: yeah? I'm, I'm sorry, we've got a little called. delay here, so we, we've got to be careful. But I, my, my comment was, obviously, it's a lot more common than people would say, lest I, I could not sit here with jammed lines for four hours. It was amazing.
2: Yes, yeah, it is yeah um I don't know what the percentage would be, but I would say I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of people with problems from possession to uh all heavy influence problems and that, and it's probably ten percent of the population suffer this sort of problem at some time or other
1: uh, that's that's very interesting uh ten percent I've got some figures of my own tonight that come uh, you know again from the Vatican and uh they they said that about of those who ask, yeah, here it is, more than 30% of the people who request exorcisms have engaged in activities like witchcraft, according to the Paris Archdiocese, Uh, and then they break it down from there. 23% suffer uh, pathological problems, delirium, hallucinations, so forth. 15% suffering depression. But a full 31% of those asking for exorcisms have been uh, in the darker... You know, witchcraft, that sort of thing.
2: Yes, that would be pretty pretty accurate. If you look at the other percentage, though, I, I would like to point out here, which comes comes first, the chicken or the egg? Uh, if you've ever suffered uh, psychic assault, uh, and a good psychic attack will usually last about a month, um, that causes depression. It can cause uh, hallucinations. It can cause uh, all of the problems you talked about there, psychological disorders, uh, stress, trauma, All of that can be caused by the actual um, uh, psychic attack or entity attack.
1: So you're saying their percentages may be skewed because some of the other, those uh, 23%, uh, may be really under psychic attack.
2: Very possibly. uh, They could also be paying lip service to modern science, trying to justify it to find a bit of support for it. Uh, But yes, in my experience, everybody who is under psychic attack has some mental Uh, Disorder Because uh, a psychic attack Unhinges you It is very distressing And it will cause A uh, temporary Usually uh, Mental disturbance
1: Have you been Psychically attacked yourself?
2: Oh yes Uh, I've been I've had regular Psychic attacks Including demonic attacks For the last 15 years Uh, Up until That was since the time I became possessed um, As I mentioned to your producer
1: Well, you didn't mention it to me. What what do you mean, possessed?
2: Well, it's a long story. I've been working in this field for quite a long time, and in my uh, late 20s, I uh, came across people who had entity problems and possession. Uh, I was working as a healer, so I tried to help them. And um, I helped uh, several people with uh, obvious... uh, I was talking about rolling around, thrashing on the floor-type possession. Um, I've... You know, release several people like that. But I was immune from any uh, attacks myself until the time I uh, tried to exercise a five-year-old boy who had horrific problems.
3: Where and where
2: was this? This was in uh, Australia.
1: In Australia, a five-year-old yeah. boy. What kind of problems was he having?
2: Uh, frequent manifestations, occult manifestations around him. I should say paranormal, not occult. Occult. Um, um, lots of polar glass activity, um, um, ghostly shapes around the house, uh, night terrors, uh, the full bit, uh, learning disorders, speech disorders, lots of physical stuff as well.
1: Oh, brother. And so I, I take it that you were sort of a last resort. Uh, people would do a lot of other things, wouldn't they, before they'd come to somebody like you?
2: Yes. Well, uh, This family was helping and trying everything uh, to help their little boy um the doctors gave them medications and things and called in um psychiatrists and that because the symptoms of um entity attack um in a child are identical to child sexual abuse they have exactly the same symptoms psychologically
3: i can imma- so,
1: yeah
2: i can imagine they would because that is what's happening if you take a, such a child to a doctor and explain the symptoms he will automatically be reaching for the telephone to call in the psychologist and possibly the police to investigate. So um, anyway, these um, they'd run out of options and they'd come across me through some friends, by word of mouth. And uh, I tried to help this child and uh, I still had never really suffered a, a major um, a possession attack myself. And I tried everything I knew to release this child and it would not go. I, re- I managed to release him temporarily for a few days at a time, but it would always come back. Uh, uh, did boy, you
1: did you identify what it was that was inhabiting this child?
2: Yes, it was a demon. Yeah, uh, the demonic hierarchy. Yeah, uh, very uh, nasty.
1: A, a high-level demon, then?
2: Yes, it was. Yeah, uh, the boy was totally enamoured by it and kept calling back. Do, was,
1: do you uh, have any idea why it picked this boy?
2: No, this is very hard to, to work out. Um, you can, you can look at karma and things like that, uh, anything you like. I mean, this boy came from a fairly clean, living household, you know, non-drinking, non-smoking. It's normal people.
1: All right, I want to get the whole story. We're at the uh, half-hour mark, so hold on. Stay right there. And we'll come back and we'll talk about the five-year-old boy and then apparently what happened to you. Exorcism is a very, very dangerous business.
0: You're listening to Art Bell's somewhere in time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 20th, 2002. listening to Art Bell's Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Costa to Coast AM from February 20th, 2002. It is, and on the other side of the world, we're speaking with Robert Bruce, who's written a couple of very interesting
1: books, one about astral dynamics and the other about to be out on the market, Practical Psychic Self-Defense. He's way down in Australia, and he's an expert in these matters. Quite obviously, we're in the middle of a story about a five-year-old child. We'll get back to that in a moment. Uh, just a brief uh, bit of news for you. The sun is going berserk again. And I mean really berserk. You should see the line of M-class flares that are occurring, and they're talking about the possibility of a large X-class flare. So when we should be on the downside of things, the star that gives us all life is really going crazy up
0: there right now. listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight, featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 20th, 2002.
1: Once again, to the other side of the world in Australia, Robert Bruce. Robert, uh, welcome back. This uh, five-year-old child uh, that you were asked To assist, uh, probably as a last ditch kind of effort. Um, How long, describe what you did and tell me how long it took.
2: Well, what I normally do in a a case like that is I put myself into a a full trance and connect with my higher self. Um, And normally I just give healing at that level and it removes anything. That was back then. what I did, I tried everything I could to shift this thing out of this child, and um, there was a lot of heavy manifestations in the room uh, while I was doing this. His mother was watching, and um, including, you know, the child's eyes glowed red and that sort huh. of thing. Huh. Uh, in desperation, uh, I was running out of uh, ideas and things to do. Uh, I did something very, very foolish. Um, I told this thing basically, take me and leave the child. Oh. Yeah,
1: and the instant that that, did, that that is in essence giving it permission. Then to, yes, uh-huh.
2: exactly. Which seems to be an important issue, uh, especially with uh, demons or higher order entities. And the instant I did that, it struck me. Um, it in a way it hit me in the mouth, in the lower right lip, um, paralysed me, and where it hit me um, is quite important. It swelled up very very quickly. Um, and I had a lump there the size of a walnut,
6: uh-huh.
2: um, and I was paralyzed and um, tortured, is the only way I could describe it, for about probably 15 minutes. In what was, manner? Can you can you describe what you felt? Yes, uh, apart from the incredible pressure on in my mind, uh, it felt like I was in a vice from the waist down, and my legs and hips were being crushed. It was incredibly painful, um, almost like drove me to the edge of insanity even um and then um it, it broke away and also I thought and I collapsed on the floor um I had a blood nose and a big swelling in the lip and that but i I, I bit sh- shaken up but I felt okay uh but to go on with what happened after that um leaving the boy behind uh, I, I failed then obviously the um a few days later I was sitting reading and My right hand just reached out and grabbed something and threw it against the wall on Uh its own, Uh without my bidding. And uh, that shocked me. Uh, And over the next few days, there are more and more losses of control. My leg would reach out and kick something on its own. And these were not jerky like nerve movements. These were fluid movements. My hand would reach out and grab a glass and throw it on the floor.
1: Oh, God, that's weird.
2: Yes, and I couldn't feel my hand doing it. It just happened so quickly. Um, I resorted to even uh, like tying my hand to my side uh, for a while, but that didn't work. Um, now, these have episodes of loss of control uh, and continued uh, over the, the weeks to build up. And I started having uh, uh, blackouts. Uh, well, not really blackouts. I was aware of what I was doing, but it was like I was pushed out of my body. And with my experience at OBE, I know I was like in an out-of-body state. And I, could, I was watching myself do things and say things that I had no control of. And so what was happening, this entity was learning how to control me.
1: What is that, um, what is that like, uh, Robert, to feel your arm or your leg or some part of your body do something you're not willing it and telling it to do? I mean, something completely, totally alien. What does that feel like?
2: It's freaky. It doesn't hurt. There's no pressure. I mean, this is not—you could say—not like a psychic attack when you got feelings of dread and cold shivers everywhere. Your hand just goes out and does something very quickly, and um, but you are completely aware that you, you know that you didn't intend to do that. Then, something with you it.
1: just left wondering what the hell just happened.
2: Yes, exactly. So this started getting worse, and uh, it culminated in an episode. Uh, On a rooftop car park, Um, we'd driven into town a friend of mine and um, his wife um, and my wife. And uh, we had the baby in the back of the car, my youngest son. And uh, I got out, and we were ten stories up, and uh, got the baby out of the car as usual. And as soon as I picked up the baby, it took complete control of me, which is what I call virtual puppetry.
6: Oh, my God.
2: And marched me to the edge of the rooftop car park to make me throw the baby off oh and yes, and jump after it. And uh, I had no control. It was like, uh, you know how the car bogged when your wheels are just spinning? You're trying to move and do things, uh, but you're just not connecting with your body. Yes. It's an amazing feeling. And But with my experience with OB, I tried everything. Uh, I was no novice at that state, and I managed to regain control just at the last moment and oh. very quickly uh, put the baby down. All right, well, that's, that's going
1: to cause me to immediately ask you about something, Robert. Yeah. Uh, that, that's an incredible story you just told. Now, I, I, I have, in in this country, story after story after story of people doing things like that, inexplicable things. That are Ex just criminal and uh, ax murderers and people yeah. who eat other people and throw people out of windows, you name it. And I've always called them head shakers because there's simply no rational way to understand why they did what they did. I wonder if what you're talking about here in some percentage of those cases, or maybe even a high percentage of those cases, is what's really at work.
2: Yes, definitely. Um I think um, when you have a case where a perfectly normal person suddenly loses control and does something horrific, I think that's a very clear sign of a possession attack. There was a case I heard of um, a few years ago where, um, this was in Australia, where a man who was a good father, um, nice man, uh, he was at home having dinner one day with his wife and his three daughters and his uh, best friend there. And he just walked outside, picked up an axe, and killed everybody. He killed his friend, his wife, his daughters, the dog, the cat, even the budgie. And um, then he started on the neighbours. Uh, he was, of course, brought down and locked up. Police got there fairly quickly, thank God. Um, now, he was taken to uh, jail and locked up, and his mother was caught as the only surviving relative. Yes. And... Uh, She went and saw her son, and she walked out of there, and she said, that is not my son. My son son does not have a green face and red eyes. Thank you very much. Uh But a couple of days later, the next day, that man reverted to normal and was left to face the consequences of what had happened. And no amount of talking will get you out of that one.
1: I take it uh, in Australia you do not have the death penalty, do you? No. 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 Uh, Here we do, uh, Robert, and uh, if people are convicted of a capital crime, particularly of that heinous nature, they're likely going to lose their own life yeah. uh, because of it.
2: That would be a kind thing to do to a person who'd done something like that because how could you live with that? You have the memory of doing that in your head. It's it's not like a blackout usually. It's, you usually have a memory of it.
6: So, oh, yes.
2: But, it's, yes, it's very unfair. Huh.
1: I guess if what you're saying is true is true in a percentage of the cases then yes uh, you would say it is unfair yes uh, of course
2: it's unprovable by modern science they don't recognize it, anything um, paranormal
1: well, I wonder if that's about to change
2: I think it will do in the near future yes, as our understanding increases
1: Now, of course, uh, people are going to say that's going to uh, lead to the devil-made-me-do-it defense, you know, and it certainly would. Uh, Those people would be right, uh, but maybe you're right, too. Uh, It's not exactly the devil, but a demonic influence of some sort. Um, You're really sure, in your own mind, Robert, I mean, to take a child in your arms to the edge of, uh, you know, a precipice to throw it off... um, you know, you're, you, have you ever tossed around in your own mind uh, your own sanity? In other words, that at that moment uh, it was not some sort of uh, uh, evil entity that was doing this to you, but rather some form of your own insanity? I've got to ask about that.
2: Yes, I, I have done a lot of, a lot of uh, work on myself in that area. Well, how do you say? Uh, I've definitely considered that at great length, but, it, but the symptoms I experienced were so. Alien, so outside of me, that it wasn't me doing it. And I've, I've seen this in other people. Uh, very quickly, if somebody did use that as a defense, uh, common sense would say that you could not release a person like that back into public again because the danger would always be there until they were completely exercised, which is a very difficult thing to do.
1: Is the danger always there with you? With me? Yes, sir.
2: No, no. Um, no, I defeated this thing uh, and released myself from it. Uh, How?
1: How did you do that?
2: Right. what I did was, um, I, there, there was no cure for something like that. I had the choice. I, I could either kill myself, mm-hmm. um, have myself locked up, or find another way.
1: Did you consider those things?
2: Yes, I did, definitely, yeah. Yeah. And, um, no, it's a hell of a thing. I mean, you know, literally a hell of a thing, you, you know you are losing control. And you can't do anything about it and you know what it is, but nobody well, would recognise
3: well, it. Well,
1: as you walked to the precipice with that child in your arms, you were aware of what you were doing, right? You 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 could yes, see what was happening. You could see what you were doing, you could feel what you were doing, but you couldn't yes. stop what you were doing.
2: I tell you how it was, it was I wasn't looking through my eyes, it was like I was standing about four feet behind and to the side, watching myself doing it from a distance, third to, to person. I wasn't inside my body. Wow. It was, adult, it was, like, it was an OBE-type experience. And uh, it's just spinning your wheels. Nothing will work. It's a total puppetry-type state. But releasing myself was uh, how I discovered a lot of the, uh, um, the things I put into my new book, uh, Countermeasures uh, yes. in Practical Soft Defense.
1: And you are convinced that the entity that was driving you to the edge with this child uh, was the same one that entered you from that uh, uh, that five-year-old?
2: Uh, yes. Yes.
1: That, that never um, really left, I guess, huh?
2: Yes, there, there are certain indicators. Uh, one of them uh, is a lump in my mouth, uh, which over a few days hardened to a grizzly lump, granuloma-type lump. Now, if you do some digging and um, read the Witch Hunter's Handbook and old Vatican Records and that, and there's millions of texts written on terminology around the world, um, you will see references to something called stigmata diabolis. That's right. With the devil's mark. Now, my work has shown that when a uh, a significant uh, evil entity attaches to somebody, it causes a physical manifestation, usually some kind of skin blemish. Now, and the, the most significant of these are the hard, grisly lumps. The During the witch hunts, the primary method of identification was... They would search the body for this stigmata diabolis mark. Mm. And according to them, you had to be able to push a needle into it, and it would neither hurt the person, and it wouldn't bleed. So it had to be a grisly-type lump for that to occur. Now, if that was found, you were nicked. There was no defence. But if they didn't find anything, you were released. And there are several cases on record where people have been released after a physical examination during the witch trials.
1: Well, what... Uh... How many innocent people during the witch trials were burned or executed or killed?
2: Oh, that's think? hard to say it, it was a very you know involved thing. There was a lot of money making going on and human nature and uh, you know property stealing and stuff like that. so um, uh, yes, but but the you're... basic tenement to what they were searching for, you know there was some proof to it.
1: in other words there there really were and are witches,
2: oh, definitely witches, yeah.
1: And, and you're saying there is a physical way to to uh, is it a fairly flawless way to identify them?
2: I wouldn't say flawless because there are um, you know medical reasons why those sort of lumps and marks attach uh, you know appear on your body um, but you know you can't tell would that sort of lump if it if that appears very quickly i mean almost instantly at the time when you suffer something like a possession attack yeah. Um, then you could pretty well narrow it down to that is associated with what just happened, the psychic attack. Now, the interesting thing is here, when I uh, um, release myself from this entity, that lump, the instant I released myself, that lump burst inside my mouth into a hundred pieces and bled and left a big hole inside my lip. i still got the scar there. Wow. Uh, So so that that shows you the the relationship. Now, I've uh, tried to be in touch with the Vatican over this, and I've emailed them and written them letters, including letters written in Italian, uh, trying to get some comments and feedback on this, because if you are doing demonic exorcisms, you have to be blind not to notice the relationship between these lumps and the actual possession.
1: During the time that you were uh, possessed and you were doing these things, uh, particularly uh, with a child, uh, Robert um, I guess in your lucid um, self-possessed moments you would consider something like killing yourself uh, how close did you come
2: oh, very close I'm an honorable man and that would be an honorable solution uh, and I fit, would figure then that I win by default because I've never harmed anybody and I'm a very gentle man and it's just not in my nature to hurt anybody I couldn't stand to do that so uh, that was a way out but what I did was, uh, I had no knowledge of what to do with this. I've been along to a few psychic healers and people who basically rolled their eyes back in the head and, uh, you know, couldn't do anything for me. They tell you to visualise some white light or something, but it doesn't work. Not in a case like that. Uh, so what I did in desperation, uh, my third choice was to literally uh, do what I believed as a mystic and to basically surrender my my, my life to God for direction. Because I figured logically, given all that I'd done and all that I planned to do, including writing the books I've written and the ones I'll write in the future and helping people, yes. my higher self, God, whatever you want to call it, would try and contact me with a message, some clue to help me. That's logical. Sure. So I, grabbing the bull by the horns, I walked out and it was actually a stormy night, a pouring dam of rain. And I staggered through the wilderness for hours, um, bouncing off trees and things in the dark, knowing, and I was fully convinced that I would get a message. And the message came, um, the scrap of um, rotting paper stuck to my leg after I fell into a ditch. And there was writing on it, and I thought, yes, that's it. Whatever it says on there, there's a message there, I knew it. So I took that home, had a look at it, and it told me to... Uh, it Basically interpreting it, it was an advertisement for a, a, a tree nursery up in the hills, right out in the, about 50 miles out of town, right in the, in the bush, we call it over here, in the wilderness, in the hills. Yes. Very deserted area. And so I said, right, that's where I'm going. And I packed up a swag and a couple of basics, like a blanket and that, and I headed out there. And I stayed out there in the hills for a, a week or so, uh, starving, no food, um, just sleeping on the floor. And halfway through that, I nearly died of um, thirst. I ran out of water, and I was miles from anywhere. I'd never make it home. And I got another little bit of guidance. I was sitting up on a hill waiting to die, very dry, and uh, I wrote a few notes to my family and figured I'd be found one day because I wasn't taking that thing back with me. I was going to die first. Oh. I was absolutely com- con- you know, committed to that. And um, I sort of, you know, said a prayer and said, hey, you know, I could use a bit of help down here. And uh, the <laughs> most curious thing happened. Uh, it was a cloudless day, brilliant blue sky, and a tiny little cloud appeared a few hundred yards from me up in, above the valley. And this got bigger and bigger and bigger until it formed this, you know, sizable little cloud. And this formed into the shape of a person, of a head and shoulders. Mm -hmm. very, very clear, very distinct and um, this was a a deity I'd encountered several months earlier when I raised my Kundalini
1: you're certain you were not hallucinating because of uh, the lack uh, listen, we'll pick it up right here we've got uh, the top of the hour coming up so relax and we'll pick it up at that point there are going to be those who will say it was a delusion induced by dehydration lack of water but others will know better. Some degree it just depends on what you believe. This really is some um, story, isn't it? Robert Bruce from way, way down south in Australia is my guest. You're in the nighttime with Coast to Coast
7: AM.
0: presents Art Bell's Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired February 20th, 2002. Just try and imagine in your mind, feeling something, knowing something
1: is in your body, watching in a detached fashion from a few feet away as you walk to the top of a roof with a child in your arms. Just try, try and imagine that.
0: We take you back to the night of February 20th, 2002, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time.
1: Back now to Australia, and Robert Bruce, and Robert, uh, please continue.
2: Well, keep in mind uh, first that this happened about 12 years ago or more. Right and uh, i've learned a lot since and it's been a big learning curve now when this figure built up in the sky it was it was big i mean the, the size of a building uh perfectly featured of this um, deity which i encountered several months earlier now i needed water i wasn't uh you say dying the first at the time i was i reckon i had about four hours because the Australian uh, wilderness, when it's 125 degrees in the shade, mm-hmm. is pretty unforgiving. You haven't got long. Yes. And uh, I was very dry, but I was not hallucinating. I know the difference. Anyway, this, um, I needed water, and I asked for help, and uh, a bow and arrow appeared in the hands of this um, incredible being that was floating a few hundred yards above me and it shot an arrow made of cloud very slowly out of this bow, and the arrow hung in the sky, and the head and shoulders disappeared. And I looked at the arrow. It was perfectly straight, had feathers, had the little triangular arrowhead on the end. It was perfect. And a little idea came to me, and I thought, I wonder. And I got my hand up there, and I drew a line down the arrow and followed it down into the valley. And about two miles of... of, Below me, two three miles below me in the in the valley, I looked carefully at the area it's pointing to, and I saw noticed a very very faint green line amongst all the brown. To cut a long story short, I made it down that the big uh, hill I was on, mm-hmm. and um, went to this place it was pointing to, and there was a tiny little stream there, about oh, two feet across. It was so well hidden in dense undergrowth I actually fell in it before I found it. Wow and I found the water I needed now there's more to it than that it's not just that I found water Um, that was a very very special place just beside it was a a little um, spring um, which was wider where the water was flowing two directions and the water was coming down the side of the hill and bubbling up there at at that place so it was a natural spring and for the remainder of my time there i had been there a couple of days um, I camped about a hundred yards uphill of that, directly in line with it, maybe eighty yards, and made a little bush camp there and uh, slept there for a few days and that was that was the trick uh, I was sleeping over the top of a running water stream mm-hmm. and which has uh, very very strong positive energies and I woke up on the, um, the second last day I was there and Still feeling okay, I hadn't had any loss of control episodes, I was just very tired, hungry and um, you know, a bit of exposure and it was about 5am and I started to walk down towards the stream to have a wash and this thing that was in me left me, this huge weight lifted off my shoulders and my mind Mm -hmm. and the lump in my lip burst into a hundred pieces. And I was spitting out bristle and blood, and I had this big hole in my lip. And uh, I felt wonderful, so light and just full of love for everything. I just felt great. And uh, about 10 seconds later, I come under the most god-awful psychic attack of my life. It dropped me to the floor, screaming, every muscle in my body working against itself.
1: It was back, or trying to get back, or doing what?
2: was trying to get back at me it was attacking me full force um, I had quite a bit of physical injuries out of that I got a couple of hernias um, nearly bit my lip off um, a couple of ruptured discs in my spine uh, pretty nasty um, I'll talk about it calmly now but at the time you can imagine it was pretty horrific that lasted for probably uh, 15 20 seconds and uh, then it left me completely, because uh, the daylight and that, um, like it couldn't get back into me again. It was out, evicted exercise, broken away.
1: Where do you think it went?
2: I have no idea where it calls home, some dark, black, dimensional backwater. Um, I don't know where it went, but it was definitely thrown out of me, and uh, it, I'd say severely damaged, drained of energy. It was. It couldn't get back into me.
1: By the um, way, by the way, Robert, uh, a yeah. lot of our top physicists, one of whom I'm due to interview again very shortly, Dr. Michio Kaku, uh,
6: yes.
1: has uh, lectured and lectures constantly about other dimensions. Now, uh, mainstream uh, theoretical physics is beginning to uh, really embrace the concept of multidimensional reality, uh, as many as eleven or more dimensions, do you believe that these entities, these life forces uh, or at one time life forces um, or whatever they are at various levels, um, reside in what we could loosely call another dimension or is it something separate from even that?
2: Yes, I think there are are lower dimensional levels, very negative uh, levels where these things come from. Uh, which are they're, they're below the normal spectrum of uh, astral planes that you would normally project into but they can uh, with an effort and with a reason um, you know enter our realms and manifest here even in the physical dimension I've seen them physically manifest um, over the years
1: you have yeah. never you have never taken any money for helping anybody
2: no
5: yeah,
2: I've Never been able to do that, Arnie. It would be like me taking money from my children for loving them. It's just so... um a very compassionate man, and I just can't bring myself to do it.
1: All right. Um, I, I, I'm beginning to get a lot of questions uh, by computer. And uh, from Alberta, Canada. How can Robert uh, and Ken Robert distinguish between demonic possession and psychiatric illness like schizophrenia and other psychosis is in other words if you are in the presence of somebody uh, displaying these uh, remarkably similar uh, um maladies uh, can you can you distinguish uh, Robert between the two
2: yes you can uh, but only for analysis Uh, very careful analysis of the case the symptoms uh, what is happening to them and uh, you keep in mind there is always some kind of mental disturbance presence you all parapsychologists know this. They all, when a, a group of parapsychologists check out a, a place, they always take along a trained observer to look for the mental disturbances and calculate the degree of them. Um, the, uh, yeah, but no, you can tell the difference, but only through analysis. Some people are very clever. You get some crazy people uh, who may be schizophrenic who believe they're under a sort of attack like that and they will try and fake the symptoms. Mm -hmm. It's a bit like um, hypochondriac illnesses. They try and fake the symptoms to get attention. I've had that many, many times, but normally uh, if you're giving countermeasures and you're asking the right questions, now I know what happens in a real case. If I ask the person to do this, I know what the result will be and I know what these symptoms are like. So if I get the wrong answers back on some of these questions, I start to suspect something is not quite right. And uh, some of the answers i get back are, you know, you could get the condition out of a book somewhere. But there's the, a lot of things.
1: There, the, there was recently, Robert, uh, here in the States, I don't know if the news made it to Australia, uh, there was a woman who allegedly t- uh, took all, uh, each one of her children in turn, put them in the bathtub, and drowned them. Uh, this is so horrific that it would seem to be a candidate possibly for something like this.
2: It could be, yes. Um, It would depend upon the case. You have to analyse it carefully. Um, You cannot say carte blanche that everybody that does something like that is possessed. I mean, some people just go mad and uh, they they do these terrible things um, for their own crazy reasons. Um, But, um, you know, there there is a case for that this must happen in, in a significant number of cases.
1: Oh, Robert, uh, let me ask you very quickly, uh, you did consider suicide before you yes, read yourself of this. What are, in your opinion, what are the cosmic consequences or the karmic consequences of suicide?
2: Uh, really, um, I'm, I'm just guessing at that. In my in my opinion, um, a lot of people disagree with me, but suicides do not face anything different in the afterlife than a person who dies from natural means. Uh, They have to face the consequence of their actions. Um, They may have to to come to terms with what they've done, which may take a long time. They may have to spend a lot of time in an astral hospital-type area, Uh uh, structured areas where people sort of sleep. It's not really a hospital. Uh, It's just an area where people go and they sort of rest. And they often relive parts of their lives until they understand it. But basically, that person would, you could say, uh, um, they've blown a test in this life, failed to learn something, and it would probably have to relive it again.
1: Have you have you in astral travel seen such areas?
2: Yes, I have. I've been into them uh, several times. Yeah, I've visited uh, friends who've died um, and things like that, you yeah, know, it's very, very interesting areas. Um, they have a structure to them that appears to be like a hospital. But uh, the people you see around, the doctors and nurses, are not real doctors and nurses. Um, it's a, you're talking about a very subjective realm here. I see beneath that like a, a metaphysical spiritual area where people go to rest and to come to terms with their, their life. And uh, and when they've done that, they, they move on into the, into one of the spirit worlds.
1: Um, How many different areas in astral travel uh, are you aware of, personally aware of, areas that, uh, and I know you're an expert in astral travel, how many areas uh, are you aware of? In other words, I guess I'm asking you about the nature of the other side, or at least as much of it as you understand.
2: Well, the traditional view of the astral planes being broken up into several major levers, and then each of those with multiple levels beneath them, seems fairly accurate for my explorations of it, uh, especially if you look at the uh, surface skins. Have you got a copy of my book, Handy?
1: I do not. I'm sorry to say I would like to have a copy of your book, though, very much. Okay,
2: Dalani's got four copies, I said.
1: I see. Um, yeah. All right.
2: Anyway, um, if you look at the back cover, uh, I had an artist take out of my mind um, what the uh, sixth astral plane, as quite a high-level plane, actually looks like the surface skin of it. Uh-huh. But if you imagine a, an infinite space covered with grid, intersecting grid lines making uh, an infinite number of squares and each square contains a pattern in the centre is, um, imagine it's like this is all blue, deep blue and in the centre of there's like floating there is a pattern which is like a huge lotus flower, a four petal gold flower with like a, a violet coloured jewel in the centre and some other little bits, but that's basically what it is, repeated over and over again. Now, that's the a basic astral plane level. Now, if you penetrate that, you're in an OBE state. You dive down and penetrate that. doesn't matter. Wherever you penetrate the astral plane skin will take you to a particular area inside of it. It is an amazing phenomenon, and it's quite repeatable.
1: Well, uh, quite what can you, can you describe any of those areas? Uh,
2: I've... I've done so in my book, a few of them. Um, the astral hospital area is one, which I just spoke about. Yes. Um, yeah, there are also different realms and some structured areas. Some places look are very wild and desolate. Uh, these are like huge, they're like worlds, universes. Um, and traveling amongst them is very confusing. Uh, I remember one I, I wrote of in my book there. Yeah, I, I came down into it after crossing through the uh, surface skin. And I came into a world where I was up in the clouds looking down on an ocean. There was islands and land around. And there were these beautiful, strange-looking ships um, sailing uh, with peculiar-looking people on them. um, And all sorts of things like that. It's just really weird. Uh, I plan to attempt to map them one day in, in the future, which will take years, and a number of projectors to do it.
6: Do you,
1: do you believe that we are, uh, we are meant to understand uh, this much of the nature of what we call the other side?
2: I think so, yes. I think it's a part of man's natural evolution, uh, spiritual, uh, intellectual evolution, to understand these things. Um, out of body experience, for example, is a very natural thing that everybody does every night. Yes. They're just not aware of it. Um, normally a person just floats out of their body and... Um, if you, I've seen project um, I've gone through people's houses and that and I've seen people sleep in bed and floating above their body a couple of feet away as they're projected double, mimicking a sleeping position. Uh, that's what most people do.
1: And again, you suggest that uh, there's a, a mind split effect uh, that there, there is one essential copy of you, the original we can think of it that way, I suppose correct me if I'm wrong, and then a sort of a duplicate you that's able to travel outside the body in what we call
2: an OBE. Yes, uh, and this is actually provable if you have the skills. Um, If you examine a lot of case histories on out-of-body spirits, you'll frequently come across um, people saying they're having symptoms of duality and bilocation, where they're aware of themselves being in their bedroom, the clock ticking on the wall, the dog snoring, and but they also were themselves being somewhere else right um but all authors today um have continued the empty body theory which started a hundred odd years ago with early authors like muldoon um where he considered that the actual spirit your soul your mind left your body and your body was left empty an empty shell yes and he considered that um, because your physical body is still alive Your ears were still working and therefore you would still hear things in the room around you. But um, you have to look deeper to understand the nature of that. And I discovered the mind split effect during some deep trance um, energy work I was doing um, where I am sitting in a chair um, in the evening and I'm raising a lot of energy. I'm in a full uh, delta level trance or deeper. I'm very, very stable in a very non-dual state, you could say and uh, i feel the outer body um experience you know projection mechanism i call it kicking in i get uh-huh. full body vibrations rapid oh, yes. heartbeat oh yes and i feel a projection occur but then it stops and a lot of people experience this they feel the symptoms and then it stops and i'm still in my chair and i'm still meditating and doing things and I, actually at the time i was uh turning around inside my skin uh, using the effort body Um, To move around inside my physical body. And I was experimenting with astral sight, where you can see through closed eyelids.
1: Um, uh, Hold hold that thought. We'll be right back. We're at the bottom of the hour. Actually, uh, the devil has made a very recent trip
0: to Georgia. Hasn't he? You're listening to Art Bell, somewhere in time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 20th, 2002. He
6: was in a bind because he was way behind and he was willing to make a deal. When he
7: came across this young man sewing on a fiddle and playing it hot, and the devil jumped up on a hickory stump and said, Boy, let me tell you what. I guess you didn't know it, but I am a fiddle player too. And if you would care to take a dare, I'll make a bet with you. Now you play pretty good fiddle, boy, but give the devil his due. I bet a fiddle of gold against your soul because I think I'm better than you.
0: listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 20th, 2002.
1: Robert Bruce's book is one coming up, is Practical Psychic Self-Defense. So we'll get into that aspect of it. In other words, what you can do if you're under psychic attack of some sort, what you can do to protect yourself, what you can do to stop whatever it is that's after you. That is, if you believe in these sorts of things. And I know many of you don't. Many of the rest of you know damn well that's true. Stay right where you are. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Art Bell's Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 20th, 2002.
1: map of what other dimensions are like, uh, where people reside who leave this life, where others uh, troll, so to speak, uh, without sure would be an interesting item to have and to contemplate what it's like on the other side. That would be a worthy project, I would think, Robert, trying to map the other side.
2: Yes, at least to map the Astral planes, which is an enormous uh, area uh, with many, many different levels.
1: Um, are the astral planes actually, in fact, where people go uh, when they die, or is it just sort of one stopping-off point on the journey after they pass?
2: It's just one, one point. Um, there are areas, uh, as I said, astral hospital rest-type areas, um, and, but most people move on into one of the spirit worlds. There are several sp- levels of spirit worlds, and I've been to some of them. And uh, uh, met people, you know, deceased relatives and that of the past, uh, friends that have died. And, uh, yeah, with these awake-induced uh, high-level projections, uh, uh, they take quite a bit of uh, energy and skill to get into them.
1: But, uh, uh, just taking one moment to do this, um, my audience is probably bored with it. I've had one OBE in my life. It occurred in Paris. I was on vacation in Paris, France, uh, mm-hmm. in bed next to my wife. And in 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 just uh, one instant i shot straight up uh, out of uh, out of the bed and i was up above paris i was aware that i was way up above the city of paris and uh, to where i could just see all a lot of france and i had this overwhelming uh i can't even describe it uh, this joyous um all-knowing, but but pure joy, and and some word that's beyond joy, and instantly I went right back into my body. I was so uh, shaken up by the experience. I, I woke up. My wife told her all about it, um, and it just—I've never had anything like it in my life. A couple of times, Robert, I have felt the approach of an OBE. I have felt uh, the vibration. I felt the noise, the buzzing, I felt the beginning of being paralyzed, but in every instant, Robert, I've I've always, I'm a c- kind of a control freak, and I've yanked myself back, scared to death of it, and the one I had in Paris, I had no choice, I had no warning, I had no vibration, I had no anything, it just happened, it just, boom, happened like that, um, and I couldn't control it, it was it was wonderful and it was frightening at the same time. But but in every other instant, I have stopped it cold because it's scary.
2: It is um, yes. Um, the reason why you remembered the first one is probably because of your excitement and that, that pure sense of freedom you get uh, when you have that type of OBE. It's incredible, it's mind blowing experience. And I'd say the emotional content of that allowed you to remember it and probably jerked you back into your body as well. Um, if you don't have a strong emotional content in your mind when you re enter your physical body, you normally won't remember it. Your other cases, um, when you uh experience O B type symptoms like vibrations, heartbeat, hearing the rushing noises you bet. and that, uh and it, then it stops. You've probably got an OBE in progress at that time. Yeah,
1: but that's a very, very uncomfortable feeling. And I mean really uncomfortable. It's extremely disconcerting. It's not something uh, that anybody who likes control... I mean, it, it can, it's so bad that yes. it can cause nausea, Robert. I mean, it can cause you to yes. feel sick.
2: Yeah, definitely. The, um, the sensations with OBE, especially one when you're awake during the OBE exit, can be enormous. The first couple of times I awakened, juice one, I thought I was going to die. They were so strong. Yeah. I mean, your heart was going 300 beats a minute. You these massive whole body vibrations. Yes. And a continual falling sensation. Yeah.
1: Oh yes. And
2: yes. this is all unknown territory. If you don't know what's happening, it is terrifying. But knowledge replaces fear. If you understand the mechanics of the process, which I focus on in my book, Astral Dynamics. It explains the process and takes a lot of the fear out of it if you understand what's happening. And then you can go with it and experience out-of-body experiences.
1: But it, 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 you know what it's like, Robert? It's like standing uh, up on top of a cliff and uh, and looking down and seeing rocks a thousand feet below and jumping. And, and you know, having someone say, go ahead and jump, you'll be all right. You'll be okay, jump. Yes. And it's, it's kind of like that. I, I could no more do that then i I just i'm not capable of it robert
2: you have you have the the habit of having a physical body so when you fly out or fly into the unknown leaving your body a lot of fear of the unknown is involved and uh, you can only replace that by um uh, replacing with knowledge um talking to other people reading about it finding out what these symptoms are exactly what are the vibrations why is my heart racing your heart isn't racing if you hook yourself up to an ECG, you'll find your heart barely ripples. But the heart chakra, that one of your primary energy centers, which is normally involved with the OBE exit, is very, very active during the actual generation of the projected double. Huh. And it races, and it feels exactly like a rapid heartbeat, huh. very, very fast. Huh. And it's frightening.
1: Yes. Uh, so frightening that, again, it's like, it's like standing on that cliff, and somebody next to you say, Hey, don't worry about it. Go ahead, jump. You'll be fine.
2: No yes, no you, way
1: you first
2: So did you go uh, uh, fall sleep after this or did you find yourself paralyzed or did you wake up and get out of bed or?
1: No, usually what I've done is uh, I haven't even gotten out of bed I just I just you know you break out in the cold sweats, and you yank yourself away from it, you lie there for a while and then you finally manage to fall back into a normal sleep uh that that's that's my experience, but i I hold myself totally away from this stuff. It scares the Jesus out of me
2: right well if if you did that and you just uh shut your mind off to it and fell asleep, you probably had a successful OBE at that time, huh. but lost the memory download of it when the when the projected double is generated and there are the two of you it comes out of the body, um, there is a problem with the physical brain storing more than one memory at the same time. Uh, The brain is used to storing linear uh, life experiences. When you have two sets or three sets, if the brain mind becomes active at the same time, it causes a lot of problems and you either get a mixture or what normally happens, the out of body experience side of the memory is just totally wiped. So you can have multiple OBEs successfully, but you will lose the, uh, if you lose the memory download, without the memory you've never had one.
1: Uh, well, exactly what I was going to say. In other words, if you have no memory of it, then uh, you, you have done nothing that adds to your life experience.
2: Exactly. But if you have a successful OBE and experiment a little bit, I mean, the first one you had in Paris, if you actually look at that, that was quite uh, unintimidating and harmless. Uh, a joyful experience, you could say.
1: No, it intimidated me.
2: <laughs> and yes, and it, it intimidated you because you didn't understand what was happening.
1: I, I mean, it was a wonderful thing, and, uh, but, but there was none of this um, pre-warning um, stuff that we've discussed already that's pretty horrific as far as I'm concerned. It just, boom, happened like that. Yes, and
7: that just, often
2: happens. And Really? Yeah, it often happens if you're in the state ready for OB, your physical body to asleep, you're in like a trance state. Sometimes your projected double will just bang, just go straight out there. It's a different, it's a sl- slightly higher level of projection.
1: It was easily the most amazing thing that I've ever felt in my entire life.
2: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, <laughs> the, uh, the, the sense of freedom, your abilities—you can fly, you can pass through solid matter. Um, it's amazing.
1: I I don't doubt it, I just, uh, it's unimaginable for me to understand how you could be aware of it and control it and then uh, use it uh, to travel where you would, where you will, into uh, uh, other realms and dimensions or even into space, I've heard, uh, that there really are no limitations once you're out of your body, is that correct?
2: That's true, Um, the best way to go about it is one step at a time. Um, you mentioned your sense of control there, which that was interfering with. If you wake-induced an OBE, uh, I mean, sat in a chair and deliberately put yourself in a state and used a technique to pull yourself out of your body, you're in control of the exit. And uh, I recommend to people, when they do that, you obviously have OBE ability, even though you don't use it. I recommend uh, they work on that, use a technique like the rope technique in my book, pull themselves out of their body and stay out for just 10 seconds. Have a quick look at the hands, watch them melt, Uh look around the room and then dive back into your body shouting Geronimo. Uh Because if you don't have a strong memory, uh, it's very hard to get those OBE memories past your physical memories. And even your dream memories have more impression on the mind than an OBE memory. But strong emotional content overcomes that. I discovered that uh, many years ago, um, I was working at teaching myself wake-induced OBE. And I remember coming out of my body, had a very easy exit. Uh, sitting across the room, thinking to myself, "Well, that was quite easy." But all my memories of the OBs I'd had before was a very difficult exits, a lot of sensations, very hard work indeed. And then I thought to myself, "I wonder if maybe I kept some strong emotion in my mind of what I was doing. Maybe there's some kind of memory problem that my memories are not getting through to the brain where they can be stored." At the conscious level, which are accessible to the conscious mind, and um, anyway, I tried jumping back in, shouting "Geronimo," and it worked. And ever since then, uh, it's it's easy to recall as long as you follow that, that you know basic instruction. But short OBEs, uh, like ten seconds in your own lounge room, do them in the daytime. You'll find them much less intimidating. I've never had a person yet to complain of fear if they have a wake-induced OBE during the daytime. That overcomes most problems. Because if you go outside, it's sunny. The sun's shining. You can see everywhere. There's no dark shadows. um, And we all have a natural fear of the dark somewhere at the back of our mind. And sunlight overcomes that, and you feel much safer.
1: It's true. Um, Here's a good practical question from Barbara in Pasadena. Uh, Please ask, uh, Robert, what does one gain? What do you gain from an OBE? What do you gain from having successive learning to do it and then having successive OBEs, what, wh- where is the gain?
2: It's the first step. Learning wake-induced OBEs is the first step, you could say, to emancipation of, of the human self. It is, in my my book, out-of-body experience, learning to have them and to do them at will, is a part of the human evolutionary, spiritual evolutionary process. And uh, it... Gives you an enormous freedom. It opens you up to different dimensional levels. Um, you have closer contact with your higher self, with God, even if if you uh, want to put it that way. Um, and it just it also shows you that you can exist independently from your physical body. And you will find, with some experience, you start losing your fear of death
1: uh-huh. and of what
2: lies beyond the grave. I suppose because you've already been there.
1: I suppose that would probably be true if you really are beginning to get a grasp or an understanding of what lies beyond and that definitely something does
2: yes yeah it also saves a lot of money on airfares
1: <laughs> um if what you do is really possible then it should be provable I don't know who said it, but, you know, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And if one is actually able to leave their body, in essence, avoiding airfares, as you just pointed out, then you should be able to go to a place um, under strict controls that you have never been to and uh, be able to describe that place in some great amount of detail that would take it past any possibility of chance in other words uh you would be able to describe something at a great distance let's say and prove to the world that OBEs are absolutely real and you can leave your body and go elsewhere
2: yes you would think that i get asked to do that several times a day
6: oh, um, oh really
2: i don't get as much email as you but i get a hundred a day <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's not as easy as you would think. Um, the, I'm actually uh, planning to uh, run some experiments later this year to prove the validity of real-time OBE under some controls, circumstances. Really? Um, now, here the problem is, um, most people only have like a minute or two after they do a wake-induced OBE into the real-time zone, which is the area of the astral which is very close to the physical dimension It's like a a reflection of physical reality as it happens. The Most people, that reality starts to erode. It's a very fluid, subjective environment. Now, so after most people get out, a minute or two later, the doors are in the wrong places, and they leave their lounge room, and they find they're in a park somewhere, and everything gets very confusing. It's what I call the Alice in Wonderland effect.
6: Uh But...
2: With uh, training, and if you have enough energy, you can increase that time, the objective part of the OBE, to uh, 10, 15, even 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very difficult to go beyond that. Um, but you could um, you could do some tests. I would have to set them up myself because I know a lot of people have done tests on this in sleep labs. I think even Robert Monroe took part in, in a set of experiments on this in a That's sleep correct.
1: lab. That's correct, yes.
2: Yes, where he was, um, uh, and he had some success, and they had a young, a young girl there, uh, 12-year-old, who had like 10 times out of 10, 100% success. She would project, uh, she's rigged up to monitors and meters, and she would project out and go through the door into the room opposite and read the numbers on the meters, and she got it 10 times out of 10.
1: Oh, yes, uh, I was uh, honored to uh, be able to interview Robert Monroe before he passed, and... Right. Boy, he was doing some very important work, wasn't he?
2: Yes, he was. He contributed enormously to the uh, our knowledge on these things. Which say that sort of proof uh, to other scientists, they want to do it themselves. So you have to continually prove these things, and there do need to be more experiments on this. But uh, in my way of thinking, the biggest problem a person has trying to uh, validate real-time out-of-body experience is that as soon as you pass your projected double through a solid object you open yourself up to reality fluctuations. What uh, is, passing what, I, what, a person through a walk, for example, have you ever seen Ghost, the movie Ghost, where Patrick Swayze moves through that person in the hospital?
1: I, special, I think I have. Yeah, yes, I did see that, yes.
2: It's a little special effect there where he's like moving through this uh, moving section. You can see the blood and little microbes moving around. Very confusing. That's what it's like to pass through a brick wall. Uh, it's quite bright on the inside of solid matter, and you can see the molecules and that moving around. But what happens uh, is that can very easily cause a reality fluctuation. Um, or if you pass into a mirror reflective substances, that causes it as well.
1: Well, what, what, do, you mean, of, what do you mean by a reality? Uh, well, it causes,
2: it causes the subjective fluid environment you're in. It causes fluctuations, and they're affected by the subconscious mind. Your dream mind could be active at that time. There's minds of other people dreaming around that area as well, which can affect it. Um, any little thing could trigger an association in you which will cause it a, a little mental thought to arise, which can cause little problems. And once you get a problem occurs and you start losing track of reality, like if you look to where your front door is and you find there's nothing there, it's just a wall, and your front door is now at the other end of the room, that causes a, a subconscious problem uh, which causes your, your subconscious mind to start creating things to make up for the discrepancies um, and yeah anyway, reality fluctuations occur a lot to do a fair test you would have to have a projector in a large room very large room like a warehouse and uh, have a, uh have a barrier up there that you couldn 't see across sure. and have him move around the barrier and Check the readouts on the instruments or the card or order they got set up for him to see.
1: Are you willing? Are you, are, you, are you willing to do exactly that kind of test?
2: Oh, definitely. I'll uh, be willing. I plan to start up a little research institute here, maybe in about a year's time, and uh, get some help and um, people in there involved in this to do just that.
1: All right. So I, probably I,
2: about the end of this year.
1: Okay. Uh, I want to ask you about mirrors too. Something special about mirrors. Uh, so we'll ask that, and we'll go to phones uh, when we get back. And if you have questions about psychic attacks or defending yourself against them, or whether you're being psychically attacked, this would be a great time to uh, begin
0: dialing, I would think. I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. You're listening to Art Bell somewhere in time on premier radio networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from February 20th, 2002. somewhere in time on premier radio networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from February 20th, 2002. You would know, imagine meeting somebody on that
1: other side or in one of those realms named Phaedra. Might be a thing to expect. Hardly ever here, though. Oh, by the way, tomorrow night, uh, Eric Burden of the Animals is going to be here. Should be a very, very interesting and different kind of night tomorrow night. Eric Burden tomorrow night on Coast. If you'll stay right there, we're about to go to the phones
0: with Robert Bruce. Now we take you back to the night of February 20th, 2002 on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time.
1: Once again, uh, to the area of Perth, Australia, and Robert Bruce. Robert, are you there? Yes. All right, I'm going to ask you and everybody else to sort of understand as we go to the telephones here uh, if the callers would be so kind as to uh, ask their question and then pause for an answer because we do have uh, a little bit of time differential uh, talking to somebody on the other side of the world, and if you don't pause like that, it will cause people to begin to speak over each other. So... I'm going to go to the phones now, and we'll give it a shot here. Uh, on my international line, uh, you're on the air with Robert Bruce. Where are you, please? Australia. You're in Australia? Uh, yes, Sam. am. Uh, what part? Uh, Sydney. Sydney, Australia. All right, so in other words, yeah. let's see now. We're, we're going all the way from Australia to here, bouncing around in millions of satellites, uh, and back uh, to Australia, and then back. Oh, that's interesting. Um, do you have a question for Robert?
8: Uh, yes, I do. Um, how well do you perform non-verbal communication? Um, as I understand, Monroe described it as manipulating the M-Band. The M-Band, sorry, yeah.
2: I'm not sure what you mean. Can you elaborate a little bit? Can you elaborate on that?
8: Uh, well, I was asked um, by some friends to ask this question. Um, I don't know exactly what they meant, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> they said to mention the uh, M-Band.
1: M-Band?
8: M-Band, yes. Non-verbal communication would be uh,
2: telepathy, intuition, um, something like that. Uh, I'm really not sure what what you're asking there.
1: All right. Well, if you were asked by somebody else to uh, proffer this question, caller, then I guess you can't elucidate for us, can you?
8: Uh, Yeah. uh, Apparently, it's meant to be like um, sending emotions and, um, yeah,
2: energy. Oh, right. Yes. I got you. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, well, um, I'm pretty good at that. Um, I can communicate with animals and uh, I can feel what they want and we understand each other and uh, work for children too. I'm great with babies.
1: Now, I I know that is true. Um, We're a cat household. We have four cats and you can project emotion at a cat and you can see the cat physically react to it. I mean, beyond any question, Beyond any reason, you can watch the cat physically react to the emotion you're sending to it. It'll yes. just it'll sort of just roll over on its, uh, its back and give you its belly. And, you know, it knows that you're projecting this. It can feel it or sense it or something. I don't know.
2: Yes, definitely. Uh, most cats give up. I've got two cats myself. Uh, I love them. Um, most cats and dogs give up trying to communicate with humans. Uh, but if you listen and feel, uh, you find you can get some pretty good communication going.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, first time caller line. You're on the air with Robert Bruce. Good morning. Good morning, sirs.
11: Now, this is hey. this is Zufo calling from Vancouver. Uh, Van- <laughs> through through. How are you doing, Robert? <laughs> good night, mate. You got through. Unbelievably. I've tried calling your show, Art, um, so many thousands of times and never get through. And tonight, just after one try, it was it's like a... It's very great. Uh, Art, I just wanted to say hello and uh, wanted to say hi so many times. I've listened to you for years, and I think your show is the best. Oh, thank you. Uh, you obviously know each other. Well, I've, I, I I bought Robert's book. I, I started studying this a couple of years ago, and I started to follow him online. Yes. And found his, his stuff to be so clear and easy to follow. He should have called his book OBEs for Dummies because it's... <laughs> is really, really practical. And I started to be able to project consciously. Well, I mean, I'm on my way to getting there. But I think it's just fabulous. I really, really love Robert's stuff.
1: Uh, So you've been able to make uh, practical use of his book. In other words, you've learned to do it yourself, or you are in the process of doing that?
11: Yeah, I've actually had a a couple of uh, successful daytime projections just by uh, getting into a trance state and then using this technique I think you refer to it in the shows called the rope technique where you imagine having a rope hanging from the ceiling above your head and with just with your mental hands you imagine pulling it and if you get a good grip on that with your with your mind you can feel the effect in your body it's like you get a a falling sensation in the pit of your stomach it's amazing
1: all right um, Robert uh he's obviously referring to some technique uh described in your book you want to describe that to us
2: Yes, he just described it. Um, It's What it does, it makes use of your body awareness, which is a powerful tool. Um, You exteriorise your body awareness uh, by not so much imagining but feeling you have a pair of hands, disembodied hands. So you could be laying there uh, completely relaxed and prone, tranced, and you feel your hands coming up and you feel them climbing a rope. And because you're exteriorising your your centre of awareness, this uh, has a great effect upon the projection mechanism huh. and uh, can trigger the NIBE oh, that's very effectively.
1: That's very interesting. So can you do that technique prior to uh, the beginning of uh, one of the signs of an OBE? Can you use that to actually begin those signs?
2: Yes, you can use it to begin the process.
1: Uh, the, the process? Uh-oh. I have this feeling that we just lost Robert. Are you there Robert? We just lost
3: Robert. Well,
1: that's what happens I guess in the course of a uh of a 4-hour conversation uh, you're bound to uh to lose it once. Uh between here and Australia, that's not a bad deal. Let's see if I can redial and what kind of connection we we had to uh, actually redial a couple of times prior to the show. Because we were getting very, very poor quality connections, and we finally got one that worked for at least a few hours. So I'm going to redial. I'm doing that as I'm speaking to you right now. A lot of numbers to dial here. It's very interesting. Let's see. Let's see if we can do this. Here we go well i said here we go uh... let me see are we really there No. you know what it looks like uh... really looks like this is a deadline this is very interesting i wonder what has happened uh... let me try this way now we have that alright uh... let me try it that way then let me just punch up the line no i'd better not do it that way let me take up the handset I see why it didn't work, I think. This around the world stuff is kind of crazy. But interesting. Well, I bet we get some good phone bills. Let's see. Okay, let's try this again. Okay. Try for a. Here we go. Hello. Hi there.
2: We're w- back.
1: Well, uh, something just blew us uh, completely apart is what happened.
2: You have yeah, been a solar player.
1: You, uh, you disappeared uh, actually uh, right in the middle of uh, saying process, I believe.
2: Right. Are we, are we okay to go now? Uh,
1: we are. Uh, we're back on the air, I think. i so,
2: uh, you were saying, great. I understand.
1: Uh, you were saying yes. right in the middle of a process.
2: Yeah, the rope technique can be used to initiate a wake-induced OBE from scratch. Or it can be used to, uh, if you start getting symptoms, it can be used to finish it off to get out of body in a conscious state. It's very versatile.
1: So in other words, you could visualize the rope and you could climb your way back to your body or, or lower uh, yourself into your body, I suppose.
2: When you climb out of your body, uh, getting back is very easy. You just have to feel for your body and move towards it and you'll get sucked back in again. The re-entry process is just as fascinating as the, as the exit process. You feel yourself dissolving because of the mind split as you re-enter the body. Um, It's this big hissing, buzzy energy sensation, Mm -hmm. and then you're back in your body. It's an amazing process.
1: All right. Um, Wild card line, Uh, you would have been on the air with my guest. Hold on just one second. Uh, Looks like we've done it again. This is really wild. I wonder what's going on here. I just saw that line go dark. <sighs> Some nights, huh? Okay, here we go. We'll try this again. Ever persistent. Listen to how it rings. It's kind of interesting in a different country. See that? I'm back. Well, Robert, we're having a time of it here, I see. Yes. Uh, let me uh, try this one more time. Wildcard line, you are probably on the air with Robert Bruce in Australia. Hello.
9: Hello. <laughs> Hi.
1: Oh, there you, there you are. Where are you, ma'am? Here
9: I am. I'm in East Tennessee. This is Brandy. Yes, Brandy. And, uh, Mr. Bruce, I have a question. Mr. Bell was um, uh, mentioned Andrea Yates. She's the woman who's uh, on trial now for drowning her five children in the bathtub. And I wondered, because there seems to be quite a, a prevalence of postpartum depression, and Andrea Yates herself has been diagnosed reportedly with uh, postpartum psychosis so i wondered are women more likely to experience psychic attacks and possessions when they've recently given birth
1: well that's a that's a pretty interesting question all right uh... robert
2: uh... yes my research has shown that the um, uh... pregnant women are more likely to start to uh, come under psychic attack entity attack um, primarily because um entities try and attach to the unborn child
6: um
2: yeah it's horrific um and with new babies around uh, they also try for the new baby and that they use a, a process conditioning Usually, you take several weeks to attach to them but the mother is very vulnerable at that time and especially if she's suffering from uh, depression um she could come under she'd have be more likely to come under a psychic attack or influence. And in a case like that, where you have obviously a very strong one, uh, it's possible that something took control of her and um, um, and basically did it, um, you know, they
9: with said, her, against
2: um, her will. Yeah.
9: They said one of the, I guess her uh, mother-in-law testified that she walked around in circles and scratched her head until clumps of hair came out. Is that something Yes, that, that
2: is consistent with something uh, like with an attack.
9: Okay. Okay.
2: Um, Strange, uh, doing strange things, strange hand gestures, uh, self-mutilation, uh, things like that. Yeah, quite consistent. I'd have to know more about the case and the symptoms she experienced before I could really uh, nail down what was happening there. But I mean, you know, obviously there was a mental disturbance there as well. But which came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I meant to ask you, and I want to ask you about mirrors. Yeah. Uh, there's always been something strange about. Mirrors, and there's been a lot of lore and, um, you know, a lot of mystery involving mirrors and, and gazing and staring at mirrors. Do you know anything about that, uh, Robert?
2: I know a little bit about them. Um, regarding um, OBEs, astral projections, if a projector, if you pass through a mirror or through a, a reflective substance like a glass or through uh, reflective water, the um, It will tend to shift you into another reality. It causes a major reality fluctuation. Um, But mirrors are well known to be used as magical devices as well, and they can be uh, used by using... uh, You could reflect, say, a tarot card into a mirror, and then you project into the reflection, and you could um, connect with the realm associated with that tarot card and and project into it. I give a technique similar in my book... um, called Virtual Reality Projection, where you set up a mirror with, a, say, you get a favorite painting or a poster of, a, say, a lovely beach scene, a place you'd like to be, um, and you reflect that into the mirror, and then you, you make the OBE and you pass into the mirror, and it will take you into a created realm that your subconscious mind creates as you enter it, which will be exactly like the uh, the picture you've entered.
1: Wow. That's really fascinating. All right. Um, East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Robert Bruce. Good morning. Is that me? That's you.
9: Okay. I'm Norma Jean in Houston, Texas. Yes, ma'am. And Mr. Bruce, uh, my son and I are experiencing ongoing psychic attacks. I'd like to give you some of the background on it and see if you can advise me on it, if you have any advice, anything we could do to stop it. When my son was 11 years old, he was attacked by a poltergeist. He was bitten, scratched, poked, punched, had his hair yanked, and uh, all the general pol- poltergeist stuff. A whole lot of things happened. But anyway, he is now 33 years old. The violent attacks have stopped, but there still seems to be uh, attacks like like his his he's tries. Tries to get a job and I've got him so many cars his motors will blow up his tires will explode his batteries will explode and it's too much to, to be coincidence and I'm wondering if the poltergeist attack could be connected to a curse because we had evicted some people from our house that were homeless they lived there for quite a while and then they started trying to take over the house so we evicted them And shortly after we evicted them, I found photographs of my son where an X had been marked through his face.
1: Oh, my God. Uh, Ma'am, 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 can you hold on for a moment? We've got a break here at the bottom of the hour. All right. All right, good. Hold on, because I do want to hear the rest of this. An X. uh... Yes, well, Robert was mentioning uh, physical manifestations uh, of those possessed in this manner and those who are witches. That was just a bit earlier. We'll be right back. I'm Art Bell from the high desert.
0: It is. This is Coast to Coast AM. You're listening to Art Bell, somewhere in time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 20th, 2002. presents Art Bell's Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired February 20th, 2002.
1: really are some things you can feel coming in the air, aren't there? They'll stand the hair on the back of your neck straight up, and you can feel them getting close. And I'm not referring just to evil spirits, but I'm referring to events and things that are coming. You can feel them in the air.
0: You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 20th, 2002.
1: Uh, Again, all the way back to Australia and Robert Bruce and uh, this caller who is on the line. Ma'am, you're back on the line again. Please
6: continue.
9: All right. As I was saying, it was after these people were evicted that I found pictures with an X mark through my son's face. And it was shortly after that that the poltergeist attacks started happening. And my son was in front of a mirror one day, and and it shattered. And he told me the people's name was Stump. And he told me he could see Mr. Stump's face in, in the mirror just before it shattered and he was smiling at him. Huh. Now, uh, every time he saw a man a, a, a few years ago that, that came up to him, he'd never seen him before, and he started telling him, is it still happening to you? Is it still missing with your cars? And my son didn't answer him because he was kind of startled because the man was telling him the things that were happening to him. And he said, I can take it off you for $1,000. And my son said, I don't have $1,000. And the man said, when you when you want it taken off, I will find you. And now, every once in a while, when something bad happens to my son, he'll see that man standing looking at him. And then, Mr. Bruce, I'm just wondering, I'm desperate, if you could tell me any, any way, anything that would help us.
2: Yes, well, first... Um when an attack like that starts, um, the primary defence I use these things—the negative entities—don't travel very well. Simply leaving your house or going to another room, you leave the house.
9: We went. You'll find we we went and moved into a, uh, uh, another place, even though we owned a house, and it was with us in the car. It was with us in the other yeah. house, and it's It's, back, it, it's, to it's the still building. here in this house where I'm at now. All right right on
1: pause for a second and listen. Go ahead. Robert. If it has,
9: if it hasn't if it hasn't attached to the
2: boy during an attack you can normally break the attack completely by crossing running water. Find a water main or a garden hose and walk over and if the attachment hasn't been made it will break it instantly. It's a very powerful defense. Um, did the
9: attacks have now, to be ongoing when you did that.
2: Now, these are the first. This, that works on the first one. If it's already made an attachment, um, it's already you could say piggybacking with the boy. Um, that won't work. Um, that's um, like a, a, definitely sounds like an entity attack to me. But the um, the what's happening around your boy? He's got very bad luck. You could say uh, aptly, he's been cursed. It's like a reality fluctuation around him, which gives him really bad luck. This is like a shamanic type attack, if you have uh-huh. a negative type shaman type person um, attacking somebody. It's uh, quite well known to cause these reality fluctuations. I've seen this. It's quite noticeable.
9: Would um, it be like a curse or witchcraft? Yeah,
2: witchcraft? Like, yes, like that. It's like a curse. Uh, you really need professional help for this. Um, Where would I
9: go to for help?
2: Have a look in your local area and see if you can find a good practicing shaman or a white witch or a magician or somebody experienced with these things. Uh, if you can't, uh, if you can get email access at all?
9: Uh, I don't have a computer in my home, but I imagine I could go to the library
2: mm-hmm.
9: or something. Yes, all
1: right, all right. Let's 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 do that. Uh, Robert, I take it you have email access?
2: Yes, yes. Uh, if you could email me at my website, go to com, one word, lowercase.
1: Okay, we've got a link on our site, artbell.com. Yes.
2: Yes. Um, And go to my site and email myself or my webmaster, and he'll forward it to me. I can put you in touch with somebody in the States who's very, very good at breaking that kind of an attack. I've worked with this lady for uh, some years now. She's excellent.
1: Robert, um, I was uh, honored to have interviewed many times a man uh, named uh, Father Malachi Martin, uh, who was uh, very close uh, to the Vatican, uh, very high up in the Vatican, and um he he was an exorcist he uh has now passed away uh however during the time that we interviewed uh, that we spoke he spoke many times of the in his opinion increasing amount of evil and uh, yes. uh here on earth and he was suggesting that uh, he was n- not suggesting but saying that in his view uh, for example in, in the area in which he practiced in new york Evil had risen about 800% during the time that he's been watching it and participating and trying to rid people of it. Um, would you concur yeah. with that?
2: Definitely. I know the man. I don't know him personally. I know his work. He's a great man, Malachi. Yes. But yes, I agree with him.
1: Uh, so then, then you're seeing more and more, then, of, these, uh, of possessions, of, of evil, of the presence of evil, or of negative forces?
2: Yes, negative forces at work, Um, the psychic attacks, the influences that people don't recognize the source of, the, uh, um, you could say, evil behavior that that causes, and the uh, psychic and demonic attacks. Uh, I mean, I started um, getting involved with this accidentally. I was in a small town of like 12,000 people, and um, I had um, seven families approach me, and I'm not that sociable a person. I didn't advertise just through word of mouth, seven family with serious entity problems, including demonic possessions and poltergeist, and that. That's just in a small town. Wow. I mean, uh, this is really is quite widespread, and it is growing. All right. Uh, there is a lot you can do
5: about it. Uh,
1: obviously. Uh, West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Robert Bruce in Australia. Hello.
11: Hi, Art, Robert. This is uh, Joe from Seattle. Yes, sir. Excellent show tonight. Thank um, you. Robert, your description of the uh, noise and vibration associated with the beginning of an OBE really struck me. When I was uh, 16, I went through a period of uh, pretty serious mental disturbance, uh, I guess like a lot of 16-year-olds. but uh, I would have these attacks before I would drift off to sleep, and they, they scared the bejesus out of me. I would have this buzzing in my head, almost like a. it felt like a rolling vibration.
2: Did you paralyzed?
11: Uh, it, it felt like a, a vibration, but it felt like it was rolling inside of my head. Um, and it felt like I was starting to come away from myself, but I would always get very scared and uh, and try to wake myself up.
6: Mm-hmm.
11: But um, it felt like I, w- I was wondering if uh, when you're having an OBE, if you feel like it comes from a specific region in your brain, like the the top of your head or if it's in the the front, or that that
2: varies. It depends upon um, which is your most uh, active uh, energy center part of your body with some people it's in the head, uh, with some people it's in, in more, more often in the heart area. Uh, but what you're describing there shows uh, tells me that you, you have a natural OBE ability. Yes. And uh, I, I deal with cases like this every day. I do a lot of consulting on the net with problems like this. You don't really have a problem. Um, you, um, possibly the, the OBEs you were having um, were contributing to your mental disturbance at the time. Um, by worrying you and also there's a lot of stuff going on in your body at that age especially if you have, uh, you're have having spontaneous type out-of-body experiences or near experiences um, Has it all settled down now?
1: Um, you know, he's gone now but uh, yeah. uh, uh, he also might be said to have an opportunity since he's getting this all the time he could go and explore it couldn't he?
2: Yes, that is one of the best ways of one of the best ways of stopping problems like that. I have a lot of people come to me who can't stay in their bodies; they keep popping out of their body, and it terrifies them.
6: That would be and,
2: t- um, <laughs> yeah.
6: Very, yeah, very... learning
2: how to wake induce them normally s- solves the problem.
1: It would be uh, absolutely disconcerting to keep leaving uh, without trying. First time caller line, you're on the air with Robert Bruce in Australia. Hi.
7: Hello, Robert Hart. This is Mike from Esmont, Virginia, listening to you on WLNI, the line out of Lynchburg. Yes, sir. Um, I've seen the grid. It was uh, in a wake state with a big headache. It was. It was a white grid a very pure white with some of the rectangles in it filled in I met an interdimensional being it was pure white it was coming from sleep into wakefulness um, I had just enough time that I seemed to wake up so fast it seemed to have kissed me in my sleep and woken me up and it was there with its eyes closed it was a monkey head it was pure white uh, but it did not have the big hump on the back like a gorilla, it was like gorilla face. And I saw it long enough, uh, either with my astral body or my own eyes, I remember exactly, I saw it long enough to be able to realize it had no teeth, it had like a wrinkled mouth, but it had definitely eight eyes and it opened up its eyes real fast and was startled and it flew out. And as I gained full wakefulness, uh, it was right into the sunbeam shining on, on my head. And one time when I left uh, body, which is all but happened to me fairly frequently, I mean fairly recently, um, I saw a fabric like you were kind of talking about, of, of indescribable colors, and I had the feeling of indescribable joy. And the fabric was weaving itself at the same time. It was the most frightening one because I also saw my arm disattached in a gray cloud, and then I couldn't breathe. And then I woke back up. And it seems like when the body is leaving, uh, the astral body is leaving. The regular body is there's like a balloon feeling, like you're pulling on a rubber kind of thing, and. Um, that's what I've seen so far, and I used to have those paralyzing things, and I found that was my gateway into leaving my body, um, although I couldn't see myself leaving my body at first, was those horrible dreams, and I fought them instead, and decided to hunt what was was doing it to me, and that seemed to take away all the fear. Do you know what that creature was? Yes, first off, I'd say the, the beam of
2: sunlight you said was striking your face is what woke you up, brought you back. Right. It's very possible that that was uh, affecting your... Um, you were obviously looking at an astral plane surface skin, but the sunlight on your eyes may have actually made it look white. It may have interfered with the colors oh. and the color of the being you saw. Well, well that being, just you just a pure white ape face. Well, that being you saw, the little ape face things... It was big, uh, it was uh, as, big as my head. Yes, they, they are um, normally a type of uh, low astral wildlife. Uh, they look like <laughs> monkeys. And they're, they're quite common. Uh, the old spiritualists used to call them uh, elementals. Elementals. It's not a very accurate description. Why so would, would it, have been? it would have been startled? It would have been startled because you saw it, and it, it recognized that you saw it. Uh, yeah,
7: that's exactly the feeling I got.
1: Collar, you've got to be careful. We've got a, a connection, a long-distance connection here, as you can tell, so you are going to talk over each other if you're not careful. So oh, I'm sorry. you startled it. Yes. Yeah. All right, uh, Robert, so uh, obviously then when you're in the same state, when you're in the same realm, these creatures or these entities, even the elemental ones, uh, they understand very well that you can see them.
2: Yes, uh, keep in mind, elemental is a very inapt. it's not a very appropriate term for them, elemental is a quite a different thing. Uh, but these little beings, they're, they're like a low astral wildlife um, Uh, They appear a lot with new projectors, whether you're having spontaneous out-of-body experiences or wake-induced ones. And um, a lot of projectors, they appear around their beds and try to scare them just by their presence. It's almost as if they are attracted to people who are having OBEs and their job is to scare them back into their bodies. But they are totally harmless.
1: Well, it certainly would work for me, scaring me, that is. Uh, On on the international line, you're on the air with Robert Bruce in Australia. Where are you, please?
10: Um, I'm in Sydney.
1: You're in Sydney, Australia also? Yes. (laughs) All right. uh, Proceed, sir.
9: Excuse
1: me? It sounds like you're in downtown Sydney in the middle of the day. (laughs)
9: Yeah, it does, doesn't
1: it? Uh, Go ahead.
2: Um, Yeah, firstly, I'd just like to say X-23 owns you. And number two, hack the planet. Thanks. That's my message for tonight.
1: Okay. I don't know what that means. Do you, Robert? No idea. Okay. Uh, Wildcard line, you're on the air with Robert Bruce in Australia. Hello.
5: Hi, good morning. Oh, Robert, uh, Art was mentioning Malachi Martin, who was an exorcist for the Catholic Church. And as a matter of fact, uh, AP had a story a couple days ago that the Pope himself has done three uh, exorcisms in his uh, tenure in office. I have two questions. One is, uh, how do you view the Christian tradition of exorcism? And my second question is, that lady that called from Tennessee, could you give us more, I I would imagine, tips on how we can individually... Let's say that we've had this experience and there is some attachment. What can a person do by himself to get rid of it, or do we... Have to necessarily go to an outside source like you told that lady.
1: Well, it seemed as though, uh, and check me if I'm wrong, Robert, but short of crossing water, uh, the way you advised her for some for something as serious as the attachment she was describing, professional help would be a must. Is that correct?
2: Yes, in that in that case, it would be um, definitely um, crossing running water will break the majority of um, any kind of psychic or entity attacks that happen while like, when they first happen. Uh, and if you can do that, uh, you can very often stop an attachment taking place. Uh, it's, a, it's a way of protecting yourself. Uh, keep in mind that uh, running water was what I learned about the running water method uh, by releasing myself.
1: Certainly, you Even told us. Yeah, I didn't, you, you yeah, I didn't exactly know I was
2: sleeping on top of a, a running water stream. But the the Christian view of exorcism is um, there's there's a Christian method, there's a Jewish method, there's Buddhist methods. If you go to Tibetan Buddhism. Um, It doesn't matter so much on the method that's being used. Uh, It matters more upon the person and the strength that that person has and the faith that they have. And the technique they use, uh, of course, has some effect as well. But it's a combination of the three. So to be a good exorcist, you have to have um, a, a good technique, a lot of faith, and a lot of inner strength.
1: All right. uh, Your book on this subject, uh, which is going to be titled The Practical Psychic Self-Defense, it's not out yet. When should it be out?
2: It should be out at the end of June. Uh, Amazon.com are advertising it for early July. So it should be available about about a month earlier from the publishers, Hampton Roads of Virginia.
1: Okay. In the the meantime, uh, your other book um, uh, called Astral Dynamics is now available. Is that correct?
2: Yes, yeah, that's available through Amazon.com or my website or write any bookstore.
1: Okay, a lot of people are going to be very obviously interested. Uh, West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Robert Bruce in Australia. Hello.
9: Hello. Hi. This is Jane listening um, on Como in western Washington. Yes, ma'am. Um, and Robert, I recently heard a person that um, does work like you do interviewed and he um, called all spirits in human entities and said that all spirits were negative and there were no white witches and he lumped the tarot in with the Ouija board and um i'm especially interested in the tarot and i'm wondering if you would address that all
6: right
1: good actually a good question uh, this person believing all spirits are negative of uh, one way or the other robert
2: but that is, that is more of a funda- fundamentalist type Christian view And everybody's entitled to their opinion But uh, in my view um, there's nothing harmful in, in the tarot uh, And as for entities and spirits They are definitely not all evil I mean there are angels I've met and talked to angels uh, They definitely exist And you wouldn't. I mean, they're spirits And you wouldn't call them evil They are great beings And there are all sorts of great, wonderful, um, great good beings out there um, one yes, one question,
1: Robert. How do you know you're not being tricked? That would be a, qu- a question a, a fundamentalist would would certainly ask, uh, because they would imagine that to be the case in, in many cases where you thought you had some warm, fuzzy, a- angelic presence, you're being tricked.
2: Nobody can guarantee that. Um, the pr- it, it's very much like real life, the way I look upon spirit entities, uh, angels, the proof is in the pudding. You judge a person, a spirit, the same way you do a human being. You do not automatically give them trust. Trust is earned by their deeds and by their actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you learn about a person's integrity and then you start to trust them, as you would do any person you met on the street. That is, that is the best way of treating any uh, entities. But, of course, if you meet up with an angel, um, they're, they're, they're quite a different sort of thing. They come with a, a great presence. Um Now, you can say that all these things are bad, but, I mean, uh, that's another fundamentalist-type viewpoint, which is very, very limited, very narrow-focused. It's focused upon a few words here and there in the Bible, and uh, they are taking them literally, and therefore you cannot debate with with people like that because they're not Mm open-minded.
1: We could go on for hours and hours and hours, Uh, but the program is ending, Robert. It has been an absolute pleasure having you here. Uh, I hope you you do very well, and I'm certain you're going to do very well with your books, and we would like to have you back again sometime, uh, perhaps when your book is out. How about that?
2: I'd love to come back.
1: All right. Thanks a million, and have a great day. What's left of it there in Australia? Thank you for having me. Good night, Robert. That's Robert Bruce, and wasn't he interesting? Tomorrow night, Eric Burden of The Animals is going to be here from the high desert. As always, I'm Art Bell. Ta-ta.